and welcome to the Super Show podcast. It's a podcast all about video games that I promise on this occasion will not devolve into a two-hour-long conversation all about aliens. Um, and joining me and making sure we keep that promise is my level-headed friend, my anti-conspiracy co-host, a man whose name is a total coincidence on this occasion. It's Mr. Alex Jones. How are you, sir? Uh, I have not been uh, taken by the aliens to go work on their spaceship yet, so I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I'm still here, still raring to go. Have you been given a date yet before you have to go and testify before Congress as to all the things, all the biological matter you've seen? Imagine, imagine I they somehow mi- like mixed up me and the other Alex Jones, and I got to go and do some of that. I just, I'd do it anyway. I'd go for it. I'd feel like, yeah, I'll yeah. be there. I'll be there. I'd be full support of you as well. It'd be the best thing that ever happened to this podcast. We'd get at least ten more viewers on YouTube. Who knows how many? The possibilities are endless. I feel like um, my testimony would be as credible as the guys who just testified in America as well. So I think that'd be fine. Mm. We'll have to get into that later. I feel like you could also it would give you a great platform to make some joke about how you have been in contact with biological matter from outer space, but all it was is one time you didn't have a wank for three weeks and your cum shot technically left out of Earth's atmosphere for like three seconds. So it was extraterrestrial semen. See, you've got you've you've stitched me up here now. You you'd love to do this because now I have to try and think about whether or not in the first five minutes we have uh, violated YouTube's terms of um, if it's appropriate for all audiences because you don't say fuck or bugger in the first five minutes. Well, hang what you have just sworn, my friend. Let's do a little recap. What did I say? Come the galactic come shot. Cumshot is a biological term. Open up any biology book in schools around the world and you will read about cumshots. The other word I said was semen. Even more biological. Imagine how incensed the uh, the right wing would get if not only did their biology book say um, uh, a woman is anyone who says they are, but also uh, intergalactic cumshots are uh, perfectly right. They'd lose their mind. Yeah. I feel like everyone, that's the point of, you know, it's a fact of life. Everyone sits down with their parents and they have the birds and the bees conversation. They learn about how the birds do their cum shots. Fuck the bees. the bees. Yeah, exactly. I've okay. I must admit, I've never understood with the birds and the bees. I, I when I first heard it called that, it was after I'd had the talk about the birds and the bees, and then I heard someone said the, the birds and the bees talk, and I was like, the birds fuck bees? Like what? It's a good point. I, I, I genuinely, I, I have no insight into this whatsoever. Are they just two animals that fuck a lot or reproduce a lot? The, 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 the irony the, is, they don't have to, but I don't, okay, I know how humans do it. I've got no idea how birds or bees do mm. it. So I've not had the birds and the bees talk because no one's told me how bees reproduce. I feel like yeah. something would be interesting as well because they make honey and they're really busy and most of them are female, right? There's like very few males in the bee colony. Oh, you're asking the wrong guy. I'm not a bee expert. We used to work with a guy who was a, allegedly a bee expert. We should bring him on the podcast one day. He also had Tourette's, which would have made for an interesting combo. I don't think he was a bee expert. I think he just loved bees. He <laughs> thinks the same. You know what? I think by modern standards, I think there's a very fine line between being a bee expert and loving bees. I think, especially... Oh. In the yes. internet age, it's like video games, Jonesy. If you like, if you, it. Love video, uh, if you love video games, you might as well be a video game expert, or at least be able to make yourself out to be online, like we do on platforms like YouTube, 
where you can watch the video portion of this podcast, not just as a VOD, which is a video on demand for those not in the know, but you can also watch it live, which is what we are right now. I'm sure, Jonesy, I can see your eyes wandering south. There might be some good folks in the comment section, or the chat, I should say, already. Is there anyone you want to say hi to? Uh, yeah, I want to give a shout out to Classy Cat, who said uh, it is appropriate. I'm an adult, so we can we can be as lewd as we want and uh, talk about bees and birds doing all sorts of kink stuff to each other. And Classy Cat doesn't mind because um, Classy Cat's an adult. So we've got classy cats permission folks it's cum shots for everyone celebrate cum it's raining cats and cum shots i don't know there's we'll figure it out um and you can help us figuring out by joining in the conversation you might want to leave a comment in the conversation on youtube when this goes up as a video that's if you're not in the live chat as already mentioned and you might also reach out to us on social media and jonesy we're gonna have to get used to a, a different kind of preamble at the beginning of all these podcasts because now our ex handle is at super show pod i can't do i'm sorry i didn't mean i shouldn't have done that so a, a bit of behind the wall we used to do this symbol to show each other that we something had messed up technical difficulties and we had to pause the recording of the podcast so when i did like just then i was i was suddenly thought shit jamie's gonna suddenly think i'm trying to end the pod like a child oh. has wandered into view or something for everyone on an audio platform such as Spotify, iTunes, or Google Podcasts, uh, Jonesy and I are crossing our forearms to make an X shape when we are referring to the, the symbol that we're throwing up. Something that prior to this podcast, I solely used to do to um, remind Simon Cowell that I didn't, didn't have, fa have uh, the X factor. Um, unfortunately, that fell on deaf ears. X factor. X factor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, it always still makes me think of wrestling. Wasn't there like a team oh, of wrestlers used to do the X thing? Didn't, wait, didn't they do it to the south though as a crotch chop? They uh, used to cross their arms and um, was that a, was that an NWO thing? I don't know who it was. I, I was I'm guessing X Pack was one of them. Um, Given uh, X in his name, but I don't know. Oh, we need Dave Horner here on moments like this. He, he'd whack me over the head for not knowing this. I know Triple H was involved. I'll put it that way. I know. Um, I bet Paul from Paisley Radio would be able to set us straight as well if he was around. But he's not yeah, exactly. A wrestling Paul, fan, I think. Massive radio fan and also proprietor of PaisleyRadio.com, a fine website where you can listen to this very podcast in digital radio podcast format on Thursdays at 10 p.m., repeated again on Mondays. So if anyone wants a fun little alternative way to experience this very product, PaisleyRadio.com, home of X-Pack enthusiast Paul. I think as well, if anyone uh, watching would like to, there's a game you could play this week, which is um, as you're watching, uh, you could note the number of times that JB flubs a word and put something else in. Because as he's actually said already to me a number of times, that his, his brain is uh, reset, restarting. And he's not quite there yet. So already we've had oh, yeah. we've had goggle podcasts and um, <laughs> and uh, Paul radio fan Paul. Um, so instead of wrestling fan, so there's two. Oh, the opening yeah. five oh, minutes. So oh, okay. So I've had a I've had a long day at work. <laughs> um, I jumped on my computer this evening, getting ready to record a podcast, broadcast a podcast, no less. And uh, in the 15 minutes that I had to wait for Jonesy to come onto Discord, I fell asleep. You know one of those sleeps, I won't recreate it because there is a video portion <laughs> of this product, but you know one of those sleeps where you, your head goes backwards, your mouth is as wide as it can possibly be open, and every now and then you make like a noise. Yes. Like a deep grin. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. It was, um, the worst yeah. is when you're on like public transport and you, and you do that, and then you wake yourself up with the... <sighs> 
and then you sort of look around and you know everyone heard you, but people pretend yeah. they haven't, and you just have oh, to go, God. oh, no. Yeah, that's the worst. Perhaps the only thing worse than that outcome would be immediately having to record a podcast moments afterwards, which is the situation that I'm very fortunate to find myself in. Yes. So thank you, Jonesy, for reminding or letting the good folks at home know of my situation and yeah keep an ear out for flops maybe make a note of them in the comments down below that will really do wonders for my confidence <laughs> and my self-esteem it's only humorous because you are usually so on point that you that wouldn't be there wouldn't be any it wouldn't be fun but the fact that you are tired and you are very hard working and you've had a, like already a long day at work makes it just you know it gives us a, a once uh you know a one time occasion uh um to uh, enjoy a little bit of humor at your expense. If it was see, it wouldn't work if it was me because I mess it up. I mess up all the time anyway, so it'd be boring. It would be like half of the course. But with you, not yeah. so much. There we go. That's very kind of you, Jonesy. And you know what? If you're wondering whether or not you could get out of that little hole you're in, flattery, <laughs> the answer is you absolutely could. Um, you also reminded me. You know who else is uh, constantly tired because of how uh, diligent and hardworking they are doing long hours. Uh, the um, the king, King Charles the Third. Not just him. I mean, you don't get fingers like that without putting a few hard shifts in. Um, I was thinking about Japanese people, and there is nothing more Japanese, uh, nothing says hard working and long hours and sleeping under your desk in the name of video games more than our old pals Nintendo. I say pals, even though they are a multi-billion dollar corporation and they're not our friends. Um, and because they're not our friends, Jonesy, we're going to spoil some of their secrets on this very podcast. Al well, alleged secrets. How does that sound? That sounds that sounds good. I like that. Yes, I'm glad you like that. I apologize for the strange noises. I'm not taking my trousers off, I promise. I'm loosening the boot, the Robocop boot. Loosening the boot also sounds like a euphemism, though. It does, uh, yeah. No, no, my I've got one Robocop leg as my uh, leg is screwed up at the moment, as some people may know, and um, it, get, it was getting a bit tight, so I just had to slacken the Velcro. You see, again, everything you're saying right now just sounds like a euphemism. I need to, like, it's like you're wiggling your eyebrows as you're saying, I'm going to slacken the Velcro, if you know what I mean. Yep. Um, believe what you'd like. <laughs> do you know what I like to believe? That every single insider and person that comes up with rumors and leaks from the world of video games is accurate, and that means that we can talk about them on this podcast without feeling like frauds. Although, as it goes, Andy Robinson and the fine folks at VGC have a pretty strong track record when they do put their money where their mouth is, and that is exactly what they've done with that aforementioned Nintendo rumor, which unsurprisingly, Jonesy, given how long it's been since we've uh, had the Nintendo Switch in our hands in our houses, revolves around Nintendo's next-gen console and when it might come out. So, shall I um, hit you with a little bit of background info? Please do. And I'll warn you, and the folks at home, and the folks maybe not at home, maybe on the move, at work, commuting, um, that some of this is going to sound obviously not confirmed, but maybe a little bit predictable. Uh, but we're going to get into some other potentially slightly more juicy stuff in a little bit. So supposedly, allegedly, I'm going to keep throwing words like that into the mix so we can't get sued, development kits for Nintendo's next console are now with key partners with a launch planned for next year. We're apparently, Jonesy, looking at the second half of 2024. For anyone uh, wondering, I believe the Nintendo Switch came out in 20... Oh, God, I'm, and now I'm doing it. 2017? 
let's do some on the fly double checking. 2017, maybe 18? I don't know. I, I was thinking 16 or 17. March 3rd, 2017. Hey, there we go. Which, of course, means that in the second half of 2024, uh, it would have crossed the seven-year mark, which would make sense for a generational leap. Um, one thing that apparently uh, is being reported by VGC at the moment is that they are currently already kind of getting up to scale when it comes to the production and the manufacturing of this new hardware they want to make sure they have what has been described as ample stock available on day one they don't want to have any pitfalls that the xbox and the playstation brands had around the launch of the ps5 and the series x and s where you just couldn't get your hands on them for love nor money um then the jonesy we get a little bit deeper into vgc's reporting because as i said a lot of the stuff thus far is kind of if not obvious, then just guessable, right? Like, a lot of people wouldn't be surprised if new Nintendo hardware came out next year. Um, but VGC have cited two sources that have given, I'm going to say, some slightly underwhelming pieces of information about what Nintendo's uh, next handheld uh, console could be backing. First of all, it's important to stress that there will still be a portable mode. That, again, isn't that surprising considering the Switch's success as a hybrid console. One thing, though, uh, that the sources are alleging at the moment is that the console could launch with an LCD screen instead of the more premium OLED in order to bring down costs. Jonesy, considering that Nintendo touted the OLED as such a big feature of what has essentially been the only upgrade they've done on the Switch thus far, is that kind of like, not a slap in the face, but is that kind of like downplaying something they've already played up? For marketing tabs? No, not at all. It okay. makes complete sense. Like, I think when you consider... Um, the people that are going to buy this, how people are going to buy this, I, I don't think that makes any difference to people buying, um, you know, the next gen switch. Where the fact it's got an LCD versus an OLED, and it just gives means that they can very easily move into a premium version of the next gen switch by saying now there's one with an OLED screen that they drop, you know, a few, a few years after the fact. Like I don't think this is that surprising. You think they could do another mid mid like a, a switch to OLED kind of deal? I, I've no idea if they would have planned it through, but I think that makes total sense for them. Like I don't think anyone's out there saying, do you know the real thing that holds the switch back? It's the LCD display. Like there's yeah. a there's a lot of other issues going on with it. If if you're talking about you know saying there's problems with the the graphical fidelity, like frame rate, storage capacity, all that sort of stuff, any of that stuff can get fixed. That's going to be more important than putting a more expensive OLED screen onto the thing. So no, I, I, it makes total sense to me. And I think the issue we've got these days as well is you've got to consider um, inflation and interest rates and all that sort of bollocks. And it's gonna hurt when they're building these units, it's going to hurt how much they come out for anyway. Like cost of living, people are going to go, they're going to say, ouch, because even if these things came out at the same kind of level that the uh, the Switch would have come out at in 2017, it's still going to feel like a decent markup because they're going to be paying, I don't know, 10, 20% more for, you know, for components. Um, you've got yep. to imagine, and they're going to be passing that on. So um, yeah, keep it, keep it cheap if you can. I I, mean, I think they'll be desperate to, right? I feel like part of Nintendo's newfound reputation in the Switch era sort of hinges on them being the most accessible and the most affordable home console on the market. I mean, if yeah. they went anywhere near PS5 and Xbox Series X prices, which even as we speak are kind of coming down, I think the PS5 had its first price drop in certain territories in the past week or so, um, that would not be a good look considering how powerful we've got to imagine a potential Switch 2 would be, given 
not just the fact that it is still a, uh, a portable, or at least has the potential to be a portable console, as we discussed, Jonesy, but also that, like its predecessor, this console will accept physical games via a cartridge slot. Now, obviously, handheld um, consoles, experimentations with various kinds of other media, like I'm thinking about the PSP and, and the UMDs or whatever they were yes. called, um, hasn't always worked. But is there any part of you that hears about another Nintendo, like another seven years of Nintendo game cartridges and goes, like, really? Does it feel antiquated to you or am I being harsh? I, I think the irony with the the slot the is they could, um, I almost feel like it could be a massive selling point for them. Like if, mm. if, you, could, if you could put the entirety of a game, uh, every aspect of that game is mounted um, on the cartridge and the cartridge itself was like a, uh, a like a SD, you know, um, or a, a sorry, like a S. Jesus Christ, I can't even think what it's called. Like an um, SDD or whatever, like a like a little insertable, um, you know, super fast drive, so solid state mm -hmm. drive. You could actually have that. That would be the best of both worlds, right? You wouldn't have to install anything on the console. Everything got installed on the cart on the game cartridge. So let's say you update a game, the game cartridge got updated. I think that would be wicked. Like if you could do that, if you never had to worry about console storage, which is a problem they're going to have. Um, individual like uh, SD cards are cheap as shit nowadays anyway. So if you only had to have like a, I don't know, five gig or a 10 gig little um, SD card that you basically uh, slide in the back. I think there's, I think there's legs in this medium. Wouldn't this will still work the same way as the Switch does, though? Which is the, of course, but I'm saying they could cartridges and installs just on the system. Yes, but what I'm saying is this: the the system of installing the cartridges, I think, has legs for the future. I think once they realise the strengths of this, you know, you never fill up your your console, whatever. I think we'll be seeing this for years to come. Hang on, I'm, I'm confused. Why why wouldn't your Switch get full? Like it, all the, the cartridges install on the device. So what I'm saying is because you were saying, you know, is this antiquated? Do, do we think this is this will change? Yeah. I'm saying I would be more surprised if it didn't go in the opposite direction and if they came up with a better way to use the cartridge oh, system in order to hold the data for the game uh, separately to the console itself so that whenever you wanted to play a game, you literally inserted it in Bing. and it just ran like as smooth as butter and you could just go and everything was ripping along and you never had to worry about storage space. And they, can, like and they add idea. the price to the, the cartridge costs you 60 bloody quid anyway and the fact that SD cards get us, you know, now they cost you a couple of quid to buy why would you not go in that direction like put more on the know. card more on the card i i agree but it, I, I just feel like everything about this generation has told us that most companies outside of nintendo want to do less and less and i mean we've already yeah. had the controversies haven't we where like i can't even remember the numbers but is it is something weird like the 64 gigabyte nintendo switch cartridge is so much more expensive than the 32 that some companies just put as much as they can on that they fill the 32 and deliver the rest of the game via a patch or via a download and so there are loads of games out there that you need an online connection to play because it has to download the other half of the game that's not on the cartridge and that yeah that is annoying like the the connectivity of the switch as well seems always seems really slow to me um, the fact that you can just buy uh, insertable cards into it yourself is um, obviously a benefit. You can just get a bigger, a bigger SD card. Um, but it's annoying. It's a shit way of doing it. Like, if you're going to use cartridges, use cartridges. Go ham. If that's what that's what I would say. Yeah. I, I'm hoping they go backwards, mate, and they end up with a big SNES cartridge, and they plug it into the back, like it almost like um, 
Oh. <laughs> what was the old, uh, like, the, the cheat cartridge thing that was this horrendous big... Bl- Game Shark. <laughs> Game Shark. I always want something like that, like, hanging off the back of the Nintendo yeah. Switch 2, just for just for shit. So you've got to blow into it like you used to, if it stops... Well. Also, didn't the early DSs, and maybe even mid-range DSs, I can't remember, didn't they have a DS card slot on the top and, like, a Game Boy Advance slot on the bottom? Oh, I don't know. Because that, I feel like that was how they did Game Boy backwards compatibility is that Nintendo DS's uh, launch had like a Game Boy Advance slot on the bottom. So you you, you had slots on both ends. Um, and I don't know, I thought that was kind of cool. I don't, I, I don't know how Nintendo would make use of that, but uh, I don't know what the relevance is to the Switch too. But I think so, because like realistically, the problem Nintendo have still got is trying to keep prices down. If you want to have an onboard SSD, you're going to, that's no no-go. Fine, have an HDD if, if that's all you need for like the speed of the games, etc. But that's what I was saying before. Like, if you can get away with having a fast and SD card, effectively as a cartridge, you know, because they're yeah. they're about the same sort of size, aren't they? Um, why, if you were Nintendo, yeah, wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't you lean into that? Like, if that was the case. Um, and of course, like we see co- um, other handhelds, like the Steam Deck, um, showing that very fast SD cards are extremely capable as a form of storage for downloading and running digital games. Um, chunkier games than the Nintendo Switch handles, right? So, yeah, I, I do see your argument. Uh, it's, it's the only thing I suppose you'd have a pro, obviously, because Nintendo now have the eShop, um, which you do download stuff onto, so you do have that as an issue. But um, then you, you've always you're always going to have that problem of, of do Nintendo really want to put on uh, an, a big onboard storage uh, unit or whatever? Like, no, because it's costly. It's going to make the thing heavier. It's going to make I just think they're going to, you know, they're going to try and keep costs down and they're going to try. And... So cartridges make sense, I suppose, in that sense as well, yeah. if you want people to keep the cartridges. It's also, we're also going to have to keep tabs on the power of the Switch 2 and what that essentially enables games to be in terms of size, if that makes sense. Because you think about, um, so the, the, the Switch at the moment comes with 32 gigabytes of internal memory. Like if mm-hmm. you just go out and buy a Nintendo Switch, you know, Call of Duty on on the PlayStation Five could be four times that on its own, right? So yeah. they're also going to have to adhere to the kind of the changing standards of the games, which in turn is going to depend on what the actual specs of the Switch Two are and kind of what you know what kind of visuals, for example, we're pushing and what kind of performance we're pushing. And that's the thing we're a little bit short of at this stage, um, given what has uh, been leaked in terms of what information has has made out. Um, I, yeah. it, it is weird to kind of think that no matter what they do, like a decent upgrade to the Switch, you're still talking about, I don't want to be mean, but you're still talking about like what, mid-level, at best, mid-level PS4 kind of. I think that was the vibe, right? It's like mid-P- like mid-PS4, yeah. Like you're not you're not sort of saying, um, you're not. we're not talking about like challenging the actual next gen as they are at the moment which is why it's always weird to talk about next gen with nintendo because it's it's next gen for them but it's it's not <laughs> compared to anyone else but then hey maybe that's the maybe that's also the thing with um console like you we talk about next gen with console and then you get all the pc gamers laughing at you because you know we're, we're so far behind um where they're at as well uh we did have a question from chris taffy uh or tafe i don't know how to pronounce it um in relation to this and i i think i know where the answer to this for both of us but i'm going to throw out to you he said uh will assuming like what we think the um switch 2 will be will we both upgrade to a switch 2 
Yes. Yes. Um, like, I, I, I think that I might get around to it, you know, uh, on my own pace, depending on what the software lineup is like. But in this day and age, especially for you, I've got to imagine with the pressure you're going to get from your kids and well, your whole family, maybe potentially. But it, over the course of a generation, like seven years is a long period of time to not own a Nintendo platform, given the quality of the first party software that they produce. And, you know, we know that like we're going to we've seen a little bit of kind of what we're going to be rounding out the Nintendo Switch era with. Actually, I don't know much about 2024, but we've seen things like Super Mario Wonder and stuff like that that still really excite me. And it's one of those things where if, you know, they start talking about Nintendo Switch 2 at some point next year and the next 3D Mario is ready, for example, then... I have to I have to be there. Like I'm there's no world where I don't play the next 3D Mario day one, even if that means buying a console for it. I just I just think over the course of a generation, it it's if assuming you keep up with their first party output, it's hard to regret buying a Nintendo platform. And I'm I'm completely aligned with you. Like, um yeah, we'll be getting one. Um I don't even think it will probably would not like it straight away, but like probably within the first six months that they release. Like the real reality is uh, it's played in my house daily. Um, it's the the, the the good thing about Nintendo is it's like a solid platform, especially with kids. They they love like the uh, a lot of the first party stuff, like they love the playability, how good it looks. There's never a question of um, you know, oh, this isn't as good as you know PlayStation Five. This isn't as good as this. Like they they don't care. It's just about fun. So the, at the moment, like they love things like. Um, Super Smash Bros, um, uh, um, Bowser's Fury, like they've been playing recently. Kirby gets a lot of love, right? Kirby gets a lot of love. Like it's it's all that kind of game. It's a lot of like very high end for, and, and not like necessarily pushing the envelope, but it's very high end Nintendo. Um, like very playable, uh, just very well made games. Um, yeah. And so when you say that, hey, more of that on the Switch too, I'm like, of course, yeah, of course, that's it's going to be a, a no uh, brainer for me. Absolutely, especially as that first-party catalogue grows. Although one thing that is a bit of a strange caveat to bring up in the early stage at least, least of the Switch 2 before that first-party catalogue starts to grow is certain question marks around backwards compatibility. That I don't know about you, Jonesy, but I felt like that was just a foregone conclusion with the Switch 2. Like, of course, every Switch game, or whatever this console ends up being called, I keep calling it the Switch 2, I'd imagine that every Switch game has to be playable on it. I just... That's just the way my mind is processed. Surely. Um, and I don't know how seriously we take these sources. The LCD OLED sort of dis dispute suggests to me that these sources might be on the manufacturing side of things and so maybe don't have the most up-to-date information um, on what's actually going on with the console. But I will read um, verbatim from this VGC article. Other details such as backwards compatibility support for Switch games, brackets physical and digital, remains unclear. Some third-party publishers are said to have expressed concern that legacy support for Switch titles could negatively affect sales of next-gen titles. Which, I suppose, is still a, is, is a going concern every time a generation incorporates backwards compatibility. But I don't know about you, I felt, Jonesy, at some point the pendulum swung and... The idea that the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One launched without backwards compatibility seems so foreign to me, because by the time the uh, PlayStation 5 and the, well, slightly more obviously, the Series X and Series S launched, 
backwards compatibility seemed like a must and it was never even in question and now that's kind of just the world we live in for want of a better way of putting it surely there's no world in which a switch 2 comes out in 2024 and tears of the kingdom isn't playable right <laughs> no i i i agree with what you said however i could see i could i could see nintendo doing it like mm. I, I, okay. I, I'm just trying to think, because because the thing the thing with Nintendo will be. So, so I think there's a, there's a little bit of a difference with say like PlayStation with five and four and the fact you couldn't get hold of the games and the fact that we're still making intergenerational titles and they kind of are patched for five often they're not like often just outright PlayStation five games. I feel like Nintendo will just go to Nintendo Switch two. And so I could see more of a thing of like, oh no, we just don't make Switch games anymore. Like it's it's Nintendo Switch 2 and they will expect people to just go out in their droves and buy the Switch. If anyone was going to do it, I think it would be Nintendo. I, I'm, I'm torn. I don't know one or the other, but I, I think if anyone was going to do it, it would be Nintendo. It would be like, I see, I don't know. I feel, I feel like they're kind of the opposite. I know they've had weird generational shifts before, usually around times where they've changed the physical media they've worked with, i.e. like going from cartridges to those mini discs for the um, for the GameCube, between the N64 to the GameCube, where it's like, there's not much you can do to make a cartridge backwards compatible. Yeah. We kind of, the consumers will understand that. I just feel like if this is another handheld or hybrid console with a cartridge slot that is even has any shared dna with the switch i feel like they're they're in for a world of hell especially if they start trying to re-release these games which i know they do a lot of and i know they did a lot of this generation with wii u titles but the wii u felt different it felt like a a strange console that not a lot of people bought and even fewer people liked uh, and there was a lot of software that went underappreciated as a result kind of made sense the idea of like a switch 2 port of tears of the kingdom you know for a essentially fundamentally very similar console why it sounds dicey that's all i'll say i think the thing that makes me think it there's two things that made me think it, it, it won't happen is the e-shop so for example now that you can buy a lot of games uh digitally for switch which obviously never been a thing before um then what do you do? Do you say, oh no, you own, uh, you own this game in the eShop, but you can't play it on your Switch Two, so you have to buy a new version, even though you have access to the of the Switch One version. Like, I, yeah, I can't really see that happening. That seems weird. Yeah, um, agreed. Um, but then at the same time, I suppose it's tricky. So then part of me's like, but they, maybe they turn around and say we don't want people playing Switch games on the Switch 2 because the Switch 2 is so much better and we don't want... Then a man, would they do? I don't think they'd do that. Like, I'm, I think I'm 50-50. I think I'm pro I'm really on the fence with it. I'm, I yeah. can see them doing it, but at the same time, I don't think it's that likely. But then I'm kind of... So I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. That's fair. That's fair. I won't try and nudge you off the fence in either direction. I'll, I, you know, I'll, I'll respect that. I, uh, I don't have any insight onto like what a Nintendo-like thing to do would be in this situation because I feel like they themselves have gone back and forth on certain issues. I, there's just something about the generational shift that we're sort of approaching for Nintendo's platforms that feels like you can't leave a lot of those titles behind. And I think you very aptly mentioned the eShop. The idea that, especially because I think they're working on franchises that are going to continue. The idea that like another Splatoon comes out and you own the previous Splatoon and you can see it there like in your library, for want of a better way of putting it. 
but you can't download it. You have to go and pick up a fundamentally that what I what I'm going to imagine. I'm going to presume is a very similar piece of hardware, uh, but just inferior. Pick that up and play an old Splatoon game on that. Splatoon's a weird example because obviously it's a you know it's an online primarily PvP game, so you, people don't go backwards very often. But yeah, I think I my gut reaction is that it will have backwards compatibility, but I do think there's going to be some Nintendo strangeness about the way they implement or the way they make usage of the hardware upgrades that we're inevitably going to see to make certain games run better like i love the idea that the switch 2 comes out and i'm going to pick it uh, pick on it again because it's recent and it's relevant to you know tears of the kingdom gets a patch that all of a sudden makes it run at 60 frames a second and a higher resolution i don't know that nintendo are going to go back and do free work or unpaid essentially unpaid work to make legacy titles better on newer hardware in the same way that Xbox and PlayStation have done at times. Um, but you know what it, You know what they would do is they would come they would out... Re-release it. They would re-release it. And they'd yeah. say, if you want to play the ultimate version of uh, Tears of the Kingdom, you need to buy the upgraded version and you have to pay, you have to pay $65 for the privilege. Yeah. That and... Is- and- like maybe that's where some of this reporting gets dicey. Like maybe backwards compatibility is a thing, but there is also a Switch Two version of Tears of the Kingdom, and that's yeah. the only one that actually looks or runs better. I know that's a horrible thought. You back to the PS Five, and Sony were patching their, some of their games, like Ghost of Tsushima and The Last of Us and Days Gone, to be like, yeah, it's going to run at sixty frames a second now, or whatever. Like we're gonna we're gonna release free patches that take, and of course they did. Then sometimes release you know paid upgrades like a lot of those games got director's cut with director's cuts with additional content and even more fleshed out packages for next gen but even then they were reduced costs and one it's, inter- just, it's messy it is messy i said one interesting thing um obviously we don't know the specs of the the steam uh, the steam deck the uh the switch 2 yet but i was going to say like it, it will be interesting if it comes closer to the ability of the steam deck um, and sort of closes that gap a little bit with regard to third-party software. You co- you got to imagine it's not going to get that close. Um, yeah, I think pricing right becomes the issue. Pricing, but isn't it? I think it, it definitely comes closer. No, exactly. It has to come, has to come closer. It has to come closer. Yeah. And you do maybe start to talk about some viable titles which seemed kind of like, well, Jesus, you wouldn't want to play that on a Switch, um, even though it was possible to. You some titles maybe are. Hey, actually, it's not too bad. It doesn't run too badly on the um, yeah. hat and the handheld version of the Switch too. Um, Very much, yeah. Much more, uh, much more affordable. I don't know exactly know when you know, manufacturing would start, but the, the the thing that also further backs up your point is the Steam Deck. At the time of recording, is over a year old, and the Switch Two, one would presume, is over a year away. And you know that that that's a lot can happen in two years in terms of the hardware market where components. Like the, perhaps the same components that are in in the Steam Deck. That I, I don't know. I know this isn't exactly how it works. And Nintendo will use different components from different places, and some of that stuff will get made bespoke. But put it this way: things get cheaper. Things over time, yeah. generally speaking, when it comes to technology and hardware, things get small, smaller, and cheaper, and and thinner, and quieter, and so on and so forth. There's always going to be the high end, which is always going to be the most expensive, the most hefty, the most heavy, the most loud, the most heat generating, you know, side of um, the hardware market. But yeah, 
It's almost, that's it's almost, what, it's that's almost what, genius. That's why, like, that's why, sorry, that's why, as we talked about last week, over the course of generations, consoles get slimmer, sometimes three or four times. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the genius of Nintendo's model. Because what Nintendo have said is, we don't want to be the cutting edge of the tech and be heavy and loud and expensive and, and fast. We want to be, you know, we want to be slim and sleek and usable and playable and portable. So we'll just wait a few years. We'll be three, well, blimey, at this point, we'll, we'll be four to five years behind the cutting edge and our shit will work really well. Yeah. Which, it's not, not a bad selling point, right? No, not at all. Yeah. Right, um, that's Nintendo. Let us know in the comments down below. Let us know in the chat if you're live with us now whether or not you would pick up a Switch 2. And I wonder, see, I was going to do a thing, Jonesy, where I was going to throw over to you and ask for you for any predictions about when this uh, console um, might release, uh, month-wise, obviously, presuming the 2024 rumor is true. But I'm going to give you a little bit of insight uh, that might prove, might show you what I'm seeing via Wikipedia, that actually it's not that interesting a guess because... Whilst the Nintendo Switch came out in March of 2017, okay, which is interesting, if we ignore that, let me know if you see a theme here. PlayStation 5, November 2020. Xbox Series XS, November 2020. Xbox One, November 2013. PlayStation 4, November 2013. Wii U, November 2012. Wii, November 2006. PlayStation 3, November 2006. Xbox 360, November 2005. Um, Xbox, November 2001. Uh, anything stand out there, perhaps, as a word that I said more times than you thought I might? Uh, yeah, November seems to be a very positive uh, sort of time to release a, uh, a console. Um, the GameCube the, did come out in September. I was going to say, the funny thing about Nintendo is I almost think if, if again, if someone was going to break the mold... Um, yeah, it's going to be... Because the thing about November is obviously that you're looking at Christmas. You're there ready. You're going to make sure there's stock. People are going to be able to buy it with plenty of time. You don't want to be dropping it in December because it's going to be horrendous trying to get hold of them. You're going to sell out. You're not going to be able to meet demand, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. October, um, October and November are, are golden. And November apparently, yeah, seems to be the one where it's at. I mean, maybe they mess around with, with September, October, um, depending on how they're feeling. Uh, depending on, I wonder that the thing that might shift it for Switch for the Switch Two is uh, what first-party games they've got ready to go. Um, for yeah. So, for example, like uh, you know, talk about um, Animal Crossing and how that shifted serious numbers of Switches. You've got to imagine, uh, not to mention the pandemic, sit, like shifting a serious number of um, units for Nintendo as well. Um, and so maybe if something else happens, they they move that timetable. But yeah, you've got to be eyeing that sort of November. Exactly. Is this your way of saying that if there is another uh, global pandemic, that Nintendo will rush out the release of a new console? <laughs> Very possibly. It depends when. If we get COVID twenty four. Yeah, if we get COVID twenty four in in like March, then uh, they'll be looking at like a, a June kind of release date. I mean, <laughs> they'll bring it forward. It to, honestly, if we did have another, if there was another global pandemic and there were more lockdowns, so we did have to spend a couple of months indoors, and Nintendo releasing a console in that time frame would be very welcome. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so, Bill Gates, anyone from the Illuminati, anyone out there who kind of pulling the strings on any of this stuff, if you're listening, uh, just try and you know make a couple of phone calls to Japan, just you know get your shit aligned and try and make sure that they're ready when you are, because we will be. Um, 
Oh, and uh, uh, what's a good segue for this? Um, <laughs> so I think, uh, Jonesy, um, uh, Jonesy, say that uh, say I'm a massive fan of uh, the Nintendo Switch. Well, uh, Jamie, say so you need to know about me. I'm a massive fan of the Nintendo Switch, and I'm a massive fan of people who give us money. Um, and there are some lovely, lovely folks who do that. And the way they do it is by heading over to patreon.com forward slash super show, which is why our Patreon lives. And what they have done is they've gone over there and they have taken a look at the various rewards and perks that one can receive by supporting us by pledging tiny fractions of your monthly income per month to reach different tiers uh for example you can get access to our discord server if you head over there you can get access to some patron exclusive content that we've recorded in the past as patron exclusive videos patreon exclusive podcasts keyword that i said a lot there exclusive the way you can get your access to any of that content that might sound appealing while also supporting us and helping us keep recording this mega mammoth podcast in the process is by heading over once again to patreon.com forward slash super show and showing us some love right now there are some names on screen of some very very fine folk who have already gone over there and done just that so thank you all very much but I'd also like to give a personal shout-out, if I may, to Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Cole K, Ice Not Rock Salt, Jesper Camdal Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Pastors Guild, and then, of course, we have the head shows, the members of the board, Brett Z, a.k.a. Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Bookread, Manuel Guerrero, and, of course, Peaswatt. Thank you all so much we say it every week. We mean it every week. Everyone who's pledged from $1 a month to a million dollars a month, whether you've pledged past, present, and or future, whether you pledge for one month to get access to exclusive content and then bugger off for eternity because you realize you didn't like us that much, we understand and we're grateful for your support. It is genuinely the reason we keep going. Um, so thank you. Imagine if Elon just popped along to uh, give us a million, a million dollars for one month patron wouldn't that be nice what if he said uh in return that you have to rebrand the podcast permanently to the x the x cast <laughs> i'd do it of course i'd do it like really? yeah, hell yeah for a million quid like he if, if we had if we got given a million quid i'd i'd make you make listicles again i'll be like elon Musk, oh no i'm never going back jamesy don't <laughs> actually for a million quid maybe yeah that, that, that'll, that'll, that'll last a few years well, pa yeah, Patreon takes a cut, then you and me have to split it in half, and then we get the moment where Chris texts us and says, hey guys, I heard about the million quid. I'm back. Made on the, yeah, exactly, on that channel that I uh, co-created with you guys and helped build the future. And we go, oh, this is all good. If only we'd signed contracts. Um, <laughs> but who needs paperwork, right, Elon? Um, uh, speaking of uh, Elon Musk, Jonesy, he likes going into space. I'm sure he's wondering what he'd find if he went out there. Do you think that he would find extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial life? Because I fucking don't. Yes, he would, 100%. If he went far enough, he would find aliens. Um, somewhere, you're not going to find aliens, is is on little planet Earth, knocking around uh, in little sphere-shaped UFOs, or UAPs, as they're now known. Um, well, okay, this is a bit of a weird yeah. one. We're going to do a little bit of an aside, purely because... 
it's been sort of in the news a decent amount this week, and we were talking about it before the show. Um, and so I was like, yeah, we, we got to mention this. Just peek, peek, it, uh, yeah. I find it fun, but it also annoyed me a little bit because I found the um, the guys who were in, I think it was the congressional hearings about, you know, the biologics and the uh, the UAPs in the past week, I found them to be some of the least convincing uh I, I maybe they're grifters of some form like i don't know what they're going to get out of it they must be getting exposure and like you know um interviews and stuff and asked to do things so maybe they're getting sunk out of them. maybe they get a book deal maybe they'll make a documentary on the uh sci-fi or uh documentary channels or something but yeah i i thought this was a fun week with a lot of alien talk well i guess then i've got two questions though one, and I suppose that we'll, we'll find out one way or another, and I suppose the fact that maybe we're talking about this kind of answers my own question, but is there still really that much clout in making up alien bullshit after all these years? And two, why did this feel different? Like, why was it happening in a congressional hearing? Why was OAC there and asking them, like, genuine, like, well-meaning questions? And why did everyone on X, or Twitter, as it was, I think, probably at the time, go like, oh, cool, aliens exist? I think the difference is so the last couple of years there's been a load of videos and things um, like Navy videos and, and that showing um, apparent yeah. I don't know why they've rebranded them UFOs are good like showing apparent alien technology because UFO just means anything and they are UFOs unidentified flying objects or they're UAPs they're unident un unidentified aerial phenomena I think is UAP uh, under underappreciated um, I'm not sure pedophiles there you go um, there are none but I, I think right. a lot of the um, because of all that footage and because of all the weirdness and then you had the the thing with the Americans shooting down a balloon a weather balloon or something oh yeah not that long ago there was maybe like a Chinese um, or maybe it's a Chinese surveillance satellite or, 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 or sorry balloon or whatever I think it's come back into the uh, like people the forefront of people's minds and it's like aliens aliens like UFOs UFOs um and it's exciting because we all want... I think the world is so shit at the moment with homegrown bollocks. Like, you know, the the, the one political side don't like the other political side. You've got this whole, whole like, different uh, people from different areas of the so-called culture war, like, going after each other. You've then got, um, what's it, war happening, like, war yep. in Europe for the first time in, like, a really long time. I think to maybe take your minds off of that and to think about UFOs, UAPs, little green men... Um, it's just maybe it's, it's something, just something to distract you. It's like video games. It's something to distract you from how crappy the world is at the moment, you know. I get that. But then I could also pose an alternative thought to you, which I saw a lot on social media. And as I hinted to you towards, uh, hinted at you before we started recording that I kind of share, which is that the world is so shit and we've got so much shit to deal with, often on personal and individual levels. A lot of people, I feel like, saw the, all this stuff happening, watched some of these videos, um, and were just kind of like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, aliens exist. I've I've got work tomorrow. Like, Yeah, yeah no, I agreed. And I know this is, uh, I think you, you've said that you hold sort of like similar opinions to that. I think it would change everything. I think it would change absolutely everything over the next really? however long. I think it would fundamentally change, because anytime someone you try and have an argument... So I was, I was big into like the... Um, uh, going back a decent amount of time now, like the uh, the atheist movement online and all of that sort of stuff that gave rise to like the skeptic thing, which then like gave rise to a load of weirdness on the internet. 
if someone in that at that time, like if you could go back 15 years and you and you had this argument and it was aliens were real, the second someone said uh, like my, my God or my, my religion, you just turn around and go aliens, man, shut up. Like what is mm. what is your what does your magic book say about aliens? And you'd be like a conversation over the second like the films that come out about aliens and UFOs and all that. It would fundamentally change media in the same way that the idea of UFOs kind of changed when you got to, is it the 60s or the 70s that we started to have the sightings and the little green men and that? That became- oh, Roswell. Ma- Roswell, yeah. That that became massive. Um, yeah. I think it was actually, I believe a lot of that was based off of Roswell and a couple of other very famous um, uh, like UFO incidents, which gave rise to you know all the common myths that we have today. I think it would change everything, not to mention technology. Like it would be- um, the second you talk about like an interstellar species that could get here, because then the question is, well, what can we do with that level of power generation with this? Yeah. Can we trade with them? Are they part of like a United Federation of Planets? Can we go off world and work in a job where we work on a spaceship with funny little aliens knocking about? It'd be amazing. I just think that the chances that everything aligns in such a way that their technology or the technological advances they've made, even though some of them obviously have to lend themselves to interstellar travel and things like that, which we could make some use of, um, the idea that they'd like lend themselves or at least we can, you know, we could like reverse engineer them to the point where they lend themselves to our everyday lives Again, it's like a like a weird hypothetical to me because, like, you, one of the things we were talking about before is that you took you talked about a very like something that you had found quite easy to to discredit, and it was someone who believed that they had I think communicated with extraterrestrials. Was that right? Or received like a reason? <laughs> he said he had a letter. <laughs> had a letter, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And like one of the things that's stupid about that is that because like you think about how you know minuscule the chance of extraterrestrial life feels like at times. And like the chances that they rock up and they can speak English um, feels like again like a, like a, it's like a, a, a one in a million within one in a million and so on and so forth. I always think that the, the same thing could be applied to like anything. Like you think about their appearance, it's very easy to say, oh well, they're probably not going to have two legs and two arms and a head because that's just the way that humans are, and they're not going to stand on two legs or whatever. And like, but what if they don't even have like a physical form that we can comprehend because it doesn't exist on our planet or like you know how you can't imagine a color or a sound that you haven't seen or heard right. because it just doesn't exist like what if we don't even have the capacity to envision what this alien looks like or how it communicates to imagine that they can make video gaming video game consoles <laughs> more powerful in six months when when this extraterrestrial life form might exist in a gaseous form and like 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 what do we like how do we know i th- for me it's the it's it's not that side of it it's like the fundamental f- uh principles in physics that i think would pl- blow us away so uh, interesting i think it was last week um there was also uh there was a, a south korean company that said they'd made a room temperature and room pressure uh superconductor um and i saw a few um x's i don't know what you call them now posts on oh, twitter right. uh or is it Z- 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 oh god whatever the hell yeah, I tweets know. i saw tweets i saw a couple of tweets about uh, you know people saying put aside the aliens put aside all of the other shit that's going on in the world if these south koreans have actually managed to make a a uh, ambient temperature and, and room pressure uh superconductor um like the world is going to be completely different and that is that is uh breaking sort of one barrier that we have at the moment which is which is like superconductors that work without having to you know super cool them and i think you crank that to a million when you talk about off-world tech that aliens have used to get here and and 
Are they? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a fanciful thing for me, and I'm excited know. for the day when the aliens arrive. But I think it's I, a long way off. Yeah, he's like, like, I love the sound of it, but like, I'm still sitting here sometimes getting a tickle in the back of my throat and being reminded that we don't know how to cure the common cold, you know? And I'm, I'm like, there all, you go. All that, all that, like, yeah. And, and it's like, me, aliens, I, six months, colds are gone. Like I, I love I love that idea and 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 no I can't use history as like a as like a a, a, a bat to back up why I'm skeptical about this kind of things because we've never been visited by extraterrestrial life forms in history so we've got no frame of reference for what could happen should that uh, be an eventuality but it's just like humans are like we've done a lot of hard work we've done a lot of grafting Jonesy and we've come we've come a long way. Um, but we've also got a long way to go. And I, I was joking to you earlier about like how when in the 50s and 60s they made like films about the cities of the future, how we were, you know, we had flying cars and we traveled via pneumatic tubes and, and, and we had films scanned into our eyeballs and we ate food that was just a paste that could taste of whatever you wanted to. And I'm sure in some weird way there are probably inventors out there who claim to have made technologies that are very similar to everything I've just described, they're just not adopted on a mass scale. There's also just like, the chances are things are going to be pretty similar in a hundred years from now as to what they are now. Um, and I, 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 I just don't know that a UFO rocking up is going to change that much. I think UFOs rocked up in Arrival and nothing happened. Everyone just shit themselves and started spreading to nuke them. And oh, that was I, uh, weird, dude. I think Arrival was that you was you when you said about like a gaseous alien. I think that was what I was trying to think of. Is Arrival the one where they are like gaseous? Well, they're kind of like they. It's kind of like yeah. There's like a weird glass wall with like right. a fog on the other side, but they do kind of like they project these symbols on top of them, and it's all about. Uh, but that, but these were Arrivals an interesting example because the whole point of Arrival isn't just that. One of the reasons we have so much difficulty, or the characters have so much difficulty interpreting and understanding these, um, the, the aliens in Arrival, is because the twist of Arrival is they're they're like weird interdimensional beings that time travel, right? Yes. And that they're, they're like they're communicating through the future and the past and weird shit like that. And that's like then so that they, what is it that they've come to give us a warning about something that's going to happen in the future and like like. All that kind of weird. Yeah, stuff. no, I don't. Even, even those elements like all change the nature of like what a potential alien race or alien species or alien civilization could be, and how difficult it could be for us to communicate with them, understand them, interface with them, leverage their technology, anything. Just because they can get here, like, I, I doesn't doesn't mean that you know we're gonna have a hundred times faster microwaves on no, okay. shelves. And, and you know what, it might be. It could well be as well that even if even if it it all turned out to be true, they might turn around and go, "We're not giving you any technology or anything because you're not ready for it." And then my guy, and then we we'll say like, "You're so far behind us, like shut up." Then then they might just you know pop around every now and then just to kind of like we're a zoo and they like you know, they're looking through the glass and we see them arrive in the sky and then they just piss off and then we get nothing out of it. We don't even see the aliens. Um, one thing that kind of bugs me in general, like, like, so I love sci-fi. I'm really into like soft sci-fi, not like anything too sort of hard. Um, but I always get frustrated by sci-fi where it's like the aliens have come to suck up all of our water or to take all of our like whatever resource. And it's like, if they've got the ability to travel thousands of light years 
Um, they're not rocking up to a crappy little rocky world um, with a barely any resources like ours when they've passed clouds of hydrogen, which are infinitely larger than like any of our oceans and blah, 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 blah. And all this sort of bollocks of, oh, no, they want to extract the oxygen from the, uh, the, from the water. And it's like, no, they don't. There are just, it's, it's out there to gather uh, you know, ad infinitum in the universe. They don't give a shit about our resources. It's also, or similarly, like they want to enslave humans. Like, why? We're rubbish. They would probably have technology a billion times better than anything we could, uh, they could, they could, you know, use for yeah. us. Um, We're the least efficient slaves in the world. We would be running so crap, need, wouldn't we? We need so many tea breaks, so many lunch breaks. Do you know what would be more likely is that they, it's more like a, um, they rock up and it's like an intergalactic like gambling federation who are like hey guy or like a car salesman but like spaceship salesman who's like oh here's some here's some idiots on this little planet who don't know what they've got and like we're gonna sell you this amazing spaceship and all you have to do is give us all of your gold and then we're like yeah yeah we'll do it and it turns out they gave us this shitty old jalopy that's worth nothing and we just gave them like every yeah. ounce of gold on the entire planet and they're like even, yeah, yeah cheers idiots like, I feel like a, a, like a, 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 a a race or a civilization that advanced could find Earth and be like, oh, we're just going to crunch that entire planet in this giant machine and extract all the gold from it. Like, like um, it's that Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where they're like, we're building a galactic highway and Earth's in the way and then they just vaporize it. Oh, right. Like L.A. Noir. Right. Um, they just go like, oh yeah, no, sorry guys. And they're like, you had a, you had like years to to um, raise a, a uh, an issue with this if you'd have gone to the intergalactic like uh, planning office and we're like we don't know that was a thing and they just snap their fingers and earth disappears yeah yeah oh well anyway sorry i not to digress too far from um games and other stuff but it seemed like a fun week and i, I will mention as well someone did say in the comments it is um it's it's interesting how there's a bunch of other shit going on in the world at the moment that might be nice to distract from if your um certain governments say like no no yet do the alien thing now uh joe is joe oh, biden yeah. a what's the thing joe, is is joe biden really crooked is like donald trump uh doing weird shit is is the um is putin doing this is has uh rishi sunak just like fucked everyone and then they go like do the aliens do the aliens we need to distract them from the real news it's probably yeah. one of them it's probably one of them they are presented like with a catalog of which discretion do you want to unleash on the world this time Exactly. Oh, I think it's high time for another global recession. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a fine choice, sir. A fine choice. Um, what else have you been up to, Jonesy, though, other than pining about aliens? Um, I've not had much time to game, but I will m quickly mention a film that I watched that uh, recently came onto Sky, which was um, Vengeance, which is from uh, BJ Novak, who stars and uh, wrote it as well. I'm not sure if he directed it too, but if anyone's watched The American Office, I believe he plays Ryan, The American Office. Um, it is an interesting film because it's based around, uh, it's, well, it's very current. So he is a um, like New York creative, like Manhattan creative, and he's trying to come up with an idea for a podcast. Um, and he has a friend of his who's like, you know, got a company and, and is one of the most successful podcasts um, in the world. And it felt quite close to home because obviously we've been doing a, a weekly well, podcast for three years. Yeah. Um, but obviously this is on a different scale and it's, it's, he wants to do a true crime um, podcast and he is, he is invited to go to a funeral of a girl that he hooked up with a few times um, and ends up going just through social discomfort. Like he couldn't say no, um, ends up turning up. And it's like a, 
a, a comic thriller, if you will, like mystery thriller, um, where he's sort of like doing this podcast, but trying to figure out what happened to her. Um, but there's some humor uh, and it's, it's a good time and I enjoyed it. And it's, it's, it's actually, for a lot of films, I feel like they aren't these days. I'm not saying none, none are. Like, there are some good films out there. You know, Oppenheimer and Barbie are at the moment, which are doing very well. Um, but I enjoyed it. I thought the writing was good. I thought the directing was good. I thought it had some small town, like, um, charm to it. Uh, and it was, yeah, no, it was enjoyable. And I'd, I'd definitely recommend it. Um, it had one of my favorite lines in a film that I've seen for a long time. Um, okay. Which was uh, this guy, I can't remember his name in the film. Um, he's in this small Texan town and he says to this girl, uh, he says, oh, can I make you a, can I make you a drink? And she's like, oh yeah, thanks. And he says, oh, how'd you take your coffee? And she's like, in the mouth? And then I thought that was hilarious. I've never heard a response to that before. That's, that's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. I thought, I thought when, as soon as you said that, I was trying to predict it and my guess was going to be like in a cup or in a mug, but in, in my mouth is much better. It's funnier. <laughs> It is funny, and it kind of then lends the, all the alternatives because then you think, how else could you take your coffee? Yeah, no, no, and it was it was fun. It was good. Yeah, it's fun. No, no, I like it. Um, uh, you mentioned Oppenheimer. I will just give a quick shout out to that because I did make it out to the cinema this past weekend to see Christopher Nolan's latest cinematic Rip Roarer, um, and I had a damn good time, Jonesy. I know that you're a big... Um, Oppenheimer fan yourself it's something that you're keen to go out and see so very much um, so. yeah maybe maybe we'll save um, some in-depth discussion for another time until perhaps you've been able to see it or until such a time where we just just feel like the one thing the Super Show podcast is lacking is a discussion about the morals or ethics of, of nuclear warfare um, but yeah I, in, I, it would be a surprise to absolutely no one that uh, Christopher Nolan continues to but I was about to say he's on a like a making comment out about him being on the war path, but that doesn't seem particularly appropriate. He continues to tackle um, completely well, slightly less original this time. Obviously, real human, real story based on a real novel. I think uh, what what's the, some, what's the novel it's based on called? The one that um, I don't know something about Icarus, the Flight of Icarus, or something like that. Right. Okay. Um, very apt. So like, no, yeah, not, not not original in the same way that like um, Tenet and Inception and Interstellar were, but still, you know, he, he's taking on nine-figure budgets and making something that feels still wholly unique and um, and and true to a, a very clear and very concise vision. Uh, and I think the other thing I wanted to say about it for anyone who's maybe on the fence because there aren't as many sort of like action-oriented hooks as there might have been in like the Batman trilogy or any of the sci- sci-fi um, films I just mentioned. Like he 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 somehow manages to take like what might have been an action set piece in Tenet and swap it out for like courtroom drama at times in Oppenheimer, and it's still somehow just as sort of tense and and riveting and and like really quite electric at times. Um, uh, really well made film, full of wonderful performances, and also just a really kind of interesting. Uh, I don't know, an, an interesting look at it. Obviously, a a very pivotal and important point in human history that I. I by the sounds things didn't know as much as you put, perhaps you know about Jonesy, other than what he made and what they did with them and where they dropped them. Um, you know the kind of the the surface level uh, bullet points. Um, I've I will say though a lot of names, so get re- get ready to remember names and faces. Right, I I do think it's, um, I'm I'm kind of falling in love with it. I don't know if it's a specific genre, but the dramatized historical scientific. Uh, movie is is something that I've seen a few of in the last sort of number of years, and have really enjoyed. 
you know a lot of them like uh from what was the guy's name um oh i can't remember the, the guy from the newt scamander actor from uh, uh magical beasts magical beasts and where to find them what the hell is that guy so you're, you're, th you're thinking of eddie redmayne in the theory of everything so yeah eddie, eddie redmayne when he was playing uh stephen hawking like i love that i love that the film. theory of everything um, yeah. yes and i can't again i can't remember the name but the the one with the number crunches at nasa um the the women who were crunching all the numbers out the back of like when they were doing the moon landing and stuff. figures like again, I love those kind of films. I know that the imita the imitation game, imitation oh. game, all of those things. Like this is such a good way to take something that hit, happened historically and absolutely like sure you they're not going to get it perfectly right and they're going to uh, add a lot of stuff for um, uh, impact and drama and like change some characters. But I think as long as they hit the main historical points, I think you're actually it's a really good way to impart like information and to give a um you know educate people on history of big events that happened which i think is really cool so yeah no super excited for oppenheimer i'm um, looking forward to it see yeah definitely recommend it um bobby bobby next hopefully um stay tuned stay tuned for that i do legitimately want to see it yeah me too me too i didn't i was kind of like i just thought it was going to be crap i thought it was going to be some like kids film about barbie and i was like why would you want to see this but apparently it's you, were, you, were you keeping up with the trailers and stuff I, th I think I watched like two of them and I thought it was maybe a a kid's film with some adult-oriented comedy in it. But from what I understand, it's not that. It's a lot more to it. But then I was a bit... Yeah, yeah. But then, but then to be fair, I've then kind of seen some stuff that goes the other way and says, no, it is for kids, but it's, ha it's trying to have a broader message. And so I'm kind of torn about how I'm going to feel about it. Because um, if it is like a kid's film with a bro broader message, it might not be as as good as I'm hoping it is, because I I don't know. We'll have to see it in Capen Nights. Yes. If you could see it with me, I'd much appreciate that, because I don't really know who else to take at this point. And I'm, I don't, Barbie's one of those films that you're not going to go to on your own as a 30-year-old 30, 30 man. <laughs> I, I could, I just don't want the looks. It was the same thing when the fucking Mario movie came out. Like I just, I couldn't bring myself to go alone to the, the cinema for that. But yeah, it's super easy for me. I just take a kid with me. I'm like, come on, we're going to the cinema, and then the, yeah, and then I could I can go and see whatever kids film I want. Yeah, and then Oppenheimer. I think you're allowed to go and see all your own. In fact, I'm, I'm guessing would, would anyone in your family join you for Oppenheimer, or is that a a solo venture? Uh, no, they 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 would if I asked them. However, I kind of think maybe solo in the IMAX is the way that I would probably choose to go and. See yeah. It. I, I one of the weird. I just reminded myself. So I have some much younger half brothers. What I say much younger at this point, at this interval, they are sixteen. For uh, the, the the brothers are sixteen and fourteen, and the younger of the two, who's fourteen now, but he was younger at the time of the story I'm about to tell, is like really into science stuff and like reads about like fucking black holes and shit like that. He's he's a very bright kid. There, those two are much brighter than I ever was, and. When we went to the cinema to see an, another film kind of in the vein of what you're talking about, like um, uh, biopics based on figures from the, technically the scientific community, uh, First Man, the Armstrong, uh, but, um, the, he I, he must have been, I mean, he's, he's 14 now, and he, in 14 now, he must have been 11 when that came out, younger, 10, and like he came and the older one didn't. Ah, uh, that's so like, funny. It's like this way that they're into like the different stuff, and he was obviously yeah. really into that. Yeah, that's cool, man. It's wicked. Yeah, and he had a good time. Um, kids, eh? Indeed. With their, with their brains. Um, 
Uh, one thing I also wanted to give a shout out to, Josie, it's been a good week for media um, because this is another, another uh, going to be another pretty uh, glowing uh, report. Is um, I've been playing a, a fair amount of Remnant Two okay. in the past week. Uh, played about fifteen hours or so. I think you. you, you, you well, am I right in thinking there was a little bit of surprise on your face? Uh, as I, as I, you, I, I knew you were going to play it. I knew you were planning to. Um, obviously, we played Remnant 1 back in the day with um, Steph Murphy, didn't we? We had a little uh, yeah, yeah. think about And I know you said you were interested. I thought you might fall off it faster than you have. I think you've played more of it than I thought you would. Uh, I, I, to be honest, I, yeah, you, I agree. I have already also played more of it than I thought I would as well. Um, because you're right to mention the first one. Like it was one of those. I, I've already played more than twice as much Remnant Two as I ever played Remnant, Remnant from the Ashes. I thought the fundamentals of Remnant were fine and um, super sufficient for some fun corp sessions, like the ones where we had back in the day, like solid third person shooting fundamentals, like engaging enough like uh, procedural world design. Um, some occasionally very frustrating, but ultimately doable boss battles. Um, and it's funny, a lot of those sort of key pillars are very much present in Remnant 2. But they've kind of, they've cut out a lot of the middlemen, and I feel like the kind of the the, the, the meat on the bone in Remnant 2 is a lot tastier and a lot juicier. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't know, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I just feel like, the, yeah, again, like the fundamentals, the kind of the core cool principles that drive Remnant 2 in terms of that third person shooting the procedural level design the boss battles the kind of the not quite loot system but still kind of a loot system that's something more akin to like a dark souls or a from software kind of title where it's like there is kind of like loot and there is a reward system but it's still like it's named items that drop on specific in specific circumstances it's all really rewarding in a way that um, has kind of caught me off guard and one thing that i think is really really cool is just how far they've taken the procedural generation elements um this time around where now you know when you start the game for the first time obviously everyone kind of loads into the same sort of hub zone at the start of the story but when you far first go out kind of into the game's multiple worlds and multiple biomes not it's not just that you get a random one of those you get a random one, and then the storyline you get within that is random. And when I say storyline, I mean it, like different cutscenes, different like story and lore drops, different world bosses. Then each dungeon that you go to off of that world is in itself procedurally generated with different events. And so, like, like I so I've already played some co-op with Steph because he picked this up as well, and he's I know it's gone down well with the Techno Over boys. Um, we had a moment where I had played about. I think when we met, like when we first started playing, I played about six hours and he played about twenty-five. And I had a weapon that I had got um, that I'd crafted using a drop from a boss that he had he had never seen, and there was right. no guarantee he ever would see. And like, it's, Which is, that's it's really fascinating to me. It is, but it actually, <laughs> ironic. I won't get back into it. It's all why we were talking about it, but also makes me think of what we were talking about a little earlier which is the you know if if ai game generation really does go as far down the route as it could um you could well end up people playing effectively completely different games um and it's interesting to know that with remnant 2 you you and steph are fat or basically found that because of the way that that yeah. game functions is that you're almost playing two different games um so yeah that's super interesting yeah and, and like for anyone that like worries that i might mean they miss out on stuff there are hooks in there for you to, to there's a thing called adventure mode which is where you can take the locations that appear in your campaign and re-roll them and essentially re-randomize them and run them again separately but with all your character progress carrying over so if it's like oh i ran through that entire area and this location or this event didn't 
spawned for me on my run so i didn't get this item and i needed that item to put in there then you can kind of like re-roll certain elements or even re-roll your whole campaign if you don't care about your campaign progress and like keep and like it just seems like there's a lot going on there there's a lot of secrets a lot of puzzles and it feels like all the exploration and every time i dig a little bit beneath the surface i feel really rewarded for my time and all of this is happening in the context of a even more solid third person shooter where it feels like like the kind of the skill system and the mod system and the you know, the upgrade systems that everything's very there's a like a rewarding is a word that I keep going back to but the feedback loop and everything you're doing in this game combined with the fact that there is this sort of like procedurally generated element that makes everything even more kind of like uncertain and like that sense of discovery that people often describe with from software games um, that I don't get to experience too often because of how little I play them. I'm kind of getting a lot of that from this, um, and that's 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 been really cool. Like this is this is the most time I've spent on a video game's wiki since I played Elden Ring. Um, right. Trying obviously trying to toe the line between um, finding out more information about like what like what I can be doing or what I could be crafting or what I get for this boss or how to make that weapon. Well, about at the same time trying to avoid spoilers where like. Like there's one example. There's one example. Like I'd, I'd love, I'd love to give you. Like I, I don't know if people would consider it a spoiler as to how I ended up with one weapon, um, and like it, it, uh, it, it but because it, it's such a like long daisy chain of events like, like, that started as a fetch quest and involved like communicating with this one NPC, then it involved using a key item in one area to get a melee weapon, then it involved using a melee weapon in, I won't describe the specifics, but using a melee weapon in a way that no one would ever in a million years experiment with using a melee weapon, for right. I then got me access to a consumable, then using that consumable teleported me to a place that is this one-off area that you never go to for any other reason, and if you explore that area enough that you find another... Um, uh, the item in there that can be used to craft this, like, there's it's layers upon layers upon layers that it again it's kind of convoluted at times, but also is really rewarding when you figure it out for yourself, and also really engaging when you find something that you don't know what to do with because all you want to do is figure out what to do with it. It's um, that sort yeah. of thing as well. I mean, just it just sounds like, and I, you know, we've talked about this before with certain games is. People that ha you can tell have a joy of making video games, and then they do it because they want to do it, and they know that people will get that, that they find it that rewarding, so they're happy to go that deep with stuff, and they're yeah. happy to build in layers of games rather than you know the bog standard. Oh, kill boss, find crate, get thing. Um, you know, really? when people actually put time, effort, love, and everything into it, and then and yeah, and that's I think is one of the best feelings you can get from a game. So no, glad glad you've been yeah. enjoying it. Yeah, totally. Um, recommend it. I also it, it it I also think that no matter where you get it, because it's on PC and uh, consoles. Uh, I think maybe just next gen consoles at the moment or current gen consoles. But I want to say it's not even a full price title. I think the baseline version of the game costs about forty pounds here in the UK, depending on where you get it. Um, so I, again, I don't know if that's a selling point for people. I know it's a little bit of a dry patch for games at the moment. Um, so you know, I I feel like. If you're looking for something to play, check out a couple of uh, reviews. And um, if it seems like your thing, then then I'll be, I, I, it gets a seal of approval from me. Um, really nice, Jonesy, to come onto the podcast and just be able to talk about a video, a, a new video game that I've played in a timely fashion and like. Just had a, yeah, just had a good time with you. Yeah, like a, I don't know why it just feels like that hasn't happened without an asterisk or a caveat, like for a little while. I don't know why that is. 
there's been so many great games this year. I don't know why Remnant 2 is the one that's made me like, oh yeah, I, I there's no asterisk here. Yeah, it's been a str- it's been a strange year for games. I think we've talked we've talked about this before. Some good games have come out, but other other times it's felt like barely anything's happened. So no, that's that's good to hear. Yeah, Chris literally just texted me. Um, I don't actually it's just reminded me I haven't replied to him, but Chris uh, literally texted me yesterday just saying Diablo Four is a bit shit, isn't it? And I kind of re- <laughs> I, re- I read that message and I was I thought, uh, yeah. Like, this yeah. is hilarious because you guys when, when Diablo 4 came out it was like oh Diablo 4 so much better Diablo 3 and then you know Diablo actually, Eternal it's, it's not actually shit but in like the context in which Chris is messaging it and means it like in a in a, in a ha ha very funny sense it is a bit shit right like as in everyone I know fell off that game before season 1 even started which is just <laughs> I'm rough. glad I didn't give it another try after Rem- but, after uh, uh, Three. Mark my words, Jonesy, there will be a time in the future when Diablo 4 is either cheap enough or free enough <laughs> that you will, and probably the latter, maybe even Game Pass one day, depending on how quickly um, Microsoft and Activision and Blizzard uh, get things moving, um, where you will play it and you will see that there is like 50, 60 hours of really solid um, like loot-based action RPG gameplay to be had with an an average story and slightly plodding traversal, but still mostly engaging gameplay. Uh, <laughs> and you'll be glad you didn't pay I'm sixty pounds for it, but you'll be like, "Okay, I'm looking forward to it." Mm, I don't know if you had to. <laughs> well, I guess um, at least some games, if Remnant proves anything, are. Trying this, trying even ironically because it's a sequel and it shares a lot of DNA from the original one. But it feels like they're trying something new. It feels like they're trying something um, different. And like you said, it's a labor of love, Jonesy, right? Which you get a lot nowadays when it comes to slightly more independent productions. I feel like that's something you find less and less when you get up to the truly homogenized AAA or even quadruple A machines that some publishers have turned into that nowadays. And one publisher that is a regularly accused of being such is Ubisoft. And I'll be honest, Jonesy, if some uh, rumors and some stories that have broken this past week are anything to go by, they're not doing anything to change that reputation anytime soon. Because Ubisoft have allegedly canceled their Immortals Phoenix Rising sequel. Um, and considering that was... It felt at the time like one of the better received and kind of like well more well liked attempts at even even a game that fit very much within that Ubisoft formula. People enjoyed that that game was doing something different. It had some original ideas, original presentation, and overall it was a fun package. Um, we were talking just last year about how Ubisoft apparently intended to grow that into a franchise and explore different mythologies. Um, a sort of a Hawaiian Polynesian um, based um, game was uh, was discussed, but supposedly uh, the company leadership has ultimately decided to cancel it due to quote perceived challenges around establishing the IP. Which again, to go back to how I uh, tried to segue, Jonesy, when you're trying to shake off your reputation as like a fucking like a, a, a like a not a slaughterhouse but like a grindhouse you know a a, a a a just a churn and burn let's make guaranteed hits familiar franchises established fan bases like when when a game like immortal phoenix rising gets one shot and then it's in the can mm, is that a bad look 
it, you know, it is, um, and I think it is, but partly because of how, what my own perception of Phoenix Rising was. Because when it came out, it was really, you know, and we've said about Ubisoft loads of times recently that they just don't seem to push anything. Like they just seem to put games out and not mention it. Phoenix Rising, I think, was the total opposite. They pushed that game hard as anything. I, I see Trimmer was everywhere. It was like the game that was launching um, Stadia. It was, you know, gonna you, you could, it was always advertised on like cross platforms and it was, it was massive. Everyone was talking about how much they loved it. It felt like it was a, it was a big thing. Um, I bought, I got it from uh, my wife. I believe it was like for the Christmas. Um, mm. I played, you know, a couple of hours of it and thought, oh yeah, this is a, this is a cool game. Like I'd quite like to play more of this, and I never went back to it. Never played any more. I think she did the same thing. She played a couple of hours, never went back to it. Um, yeah. And I wonder if it was a game that was almost like lie and they will come. Like build it, say it's this massive thing, say that everyone's really into it, say that it's like doing wonderful things, a great new blah, blah, and then people will just think it is and they'll play it, and then maybe they didn't? No, but well, did people play it? I think yes. One thing I potentially read was that too many people played it once it became either A, heavily discounted, or B, in some cases, free. Right. Um, but I believe, you know, the, the goodwill around that game and the kind of the, the fan support that it did have in some corners... Uh, like, I, that was real. I still, so I still remember um, your friend and mine, Skill Up. This was, of course, uh, in the kind of the Christmas period, the winter window, where Ubisoft pulled the batshit crazy move of releasing um, Immortals: Phoenix Rising, Watch Dogs Legion, and Assassin's Creed Valhalla um, within three months of each other. Yes. It was literally like bang, September, October, November, a third-person open world action adventure game for every month. Um, and people out there, the people like Skillet were out there saying like, hey, Immortals Phoenix Rising is the best of these three games and it's not even close. And I think he, I think he was right. Um, but this is, I, I remember all of that and I remember like thinking how big it was, it seemed that it was. But then to be like, oh, well, we're not going to make a sequel to it. It kind of doesn't really, f I don't really understand that. Like if it was, if it got reviewed that well, people played it that much. I don't, yeah, it just find this confusing, which is why I, it makes me wonder if it was it was a little bit um, overhyped and and right. didn't deliver uh, maybe in in what they were uh, what they were hoping. But but I, I don't know. I've got no numbers to like know one or the other. I'd, I'd be really interested to see like numbers wise how that did because like I said, it seemed to be everywhere. Um, it seemed to be yeah. pushed really hard. Or like a situation where that goodwill just didn't translate to dollars and cents, and like maybe I just I just saw a tweet, um, or yeah, I'm just going to keep William tweets. Fuck it. Prior to coming onto the podcast about how um, that um, Dungeons and Dragons film from a couple of months ago right. like, might, might get a sequel, but if it does, it will have to be on a heavily reduced budget because of how much money the first film made. And the context in which I saw this tweet was it being quote tweeted by by someone else who's clearly a really big fan. It was like, oh, this bums me out so much. This film was much better than it had any right to be. And that was the total vibe of that film was like the reviews were actually okay. You know, the trailers didn't do it justice. This is way better than it had any right to be. Also, no one watched it. And so it's like, what, there's a weird disconnect there. Or it happened with Alita Battle Angel as well. There were people on the internet who will convince you Alita Battle Angel is like the best action film of the last 15 years. It's like, but you didn't go to the cinema for it, did you, buddy? And it's like, well, so it's yeah. funny. I went to the cinema for both those films. Um, there you go. Enjoyed enjoyed both of them. Thought they were both. You are not, you are not part of the problem, Zenzo. You're thought, the good guys. Thought they were both very good films, and um, think that both deserve a sequel. 
was very surprised that I was one of the people that looked tried to find why uh, like when the Lita Batter Angel is it Lita I can never remember is it Lita or Alita 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 with an A at the front I yeah the I was surprised that that film didn't get a sequel. I was like, when is the sequel coming out? Like, what is the source material? Because I sort of really enjoyed it. I think it was a graphic novel or something, right? Um, and yeah, Dungeons, Dungeons of Dragons, again, had a, had a, it was an enjoyable film. It was a lot of fun. Wasn't what I was expecting. was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. But again, I think the problem with a lot of these films is, with films, is they put an absolutely astronomical budget behind them. And then they have to make so much money to be viable that, that you can have a film that made like 500 million dollars at the box office and they're like ah it was a commercial flop so we're not going to make another one games seem a little bit more different because games seem like they they don't seem as especially with the marketing budget like the, the movie thing is if a film costs 250 million dollars to make you've got to assume there's 250 million behind it in marketing video games don't have that ubisoft games definitely don't have that um mm-hmm. maybe phoenix rising I'm, I'm wrong about but I don't know. It seemed like it was everywhere. It seemed really well received. It seemed very positive. I, and yeah, I'm I'm really surprised that there's not going to be a sequel to this. It's actually a game that if you said to me now, would you like to go and play some more of? I'm like, I, yeah, there's got to be more to that that I haven't experienced that would be cool. Like it was it was a fun game. It looked good. It played well. But maybe it didn't have longevity. I, I could I could imagine that from the small amount I did play. Maybe the longevity wasn't there. Um, the other thing, of course, I think in these days, it was a single player game. Um, right so it wasn't yep, like a yep, online true. multiplayer and I think if you're not a GTA 5 if you're not a um, uh, like a League of Legends or or a Dota or something like that I think maybe companies just aren't as interested because um, the legs aren't there to keep them yeah. keep the money bur- money machine churning that's a fair point you know, that's something that Ubisoft have probably become more conscious of over time, you know, especially as with their other forays into the free-to-play market that you mentioned a lot of the other games, they tend to just kind of like drop out of nowhere. Certainly there's been an increased focus and awareness of um, online markets, or at least games uh, games with, you know, live service potential, because for as much as, for example, Assassin's Creed Valhalla wasn't an online multiplayer game by any stretch, that had major games as a service hooks, released a lot of DLC, um, you know, Immortals Phoenix Rising also released DLC, but I wonder if they have metrics about, like, how many people went back for those DLC packages. When the people did go back, did they spend more money on armor sets or horses? And they were, like, maybe looking at the numbers and saying, even if we tried to, like like create a ratio of Assassin's Creed players to Immortals players. Immortals players are spending less money and seem less engaged in that ecosystem and that we feel like we're struggling to establish a brand. And I mean, there's been a lot of talk and we're going to talk about this a bit more in a second, but a lot of talk about Ubisoft pivoting into their more well-known brands going forward because I guess there's less risk in that financially speaking. And maybe that's what they just had to kind of like make a kind of a cruel decision of like, hey, there's a couple of hundred people here who could either take another risk on this franchise or make a safer bet come out faster or in a better state. And someone running the numbers, Darren from accounts was like, well, you know which one I think is the safer bet. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and you know, Assassin's Creed has got such pedigree. I think it's you, it's a lot easier for a bad for a good franchise to have a bad game. I'm not saying Valhalla was bad, but it's a lot easier for them to have a bad game and still do well. Whereas a brand new IP is going to have a lot harder time. Um, there, there is some fun in the chat with regards to the movies we were just talking about. So I'm just going to, oh yeah, uh, just to just to say D and D 
it wasn't the first movie, it was the fourth, because there are three others, which I've never heard of, so, you know. Wait, not, when they say other D&D movies, uh, I, I, I hate to have a conversation in real time with someone in the chat, especially when I can't even see it in front of me, but they're including that one from, like, the early 2000s with um, uh, the guy... F uh, oh, I can't... Um, the guy from, like, uh, is it one of the Wayans brothers? Was he in it? And oh, oh yeah, oh, I think I know yet. So oh, okay, I, I and um, and, Jer and Jeremy Irons, like is that is, is that one of the, the the Dungeons and Dragons films that we're counting? As if we are, then I, I really hope so. Uh, also, or oh, a little bit of a conspiracy theory here. So no sequel to uh, Lita Battle Angel, um, because Disney bought Fox and Disney didn't like Alita doing well because it was doing better than Captain Marvel. And so they killed off the the potential of a sequel to Alita because of Captain Marvel. Um, wow. Well, there you go. I mean, that is there's a bit of a tinfoil hat going on there. Uh, but you know what? It's it's all valid. Thank you for sharing. I do, I, see, I've always thought there's there's nothing in Captain Marvel. But she's It's the Superman problem. Superman movies are crap because Superman is so OP. And Captain Marvel's got the same problem. She's so OP that you cannot have a good film of Captain Marvel in. Unless the opening act of the film is how she's lost her power. Same as Superman. You can only have a good Superman film where the opening act is him losing his power. And then, and then I'm bored. I'm immediately bored. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. I watched a trailer the other day for The Marvels, which is the one that brings. Um, oh, yeah, I've just forgotten her name. Uh, uh, Ms. Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel and someone else together, right? Yeah, I don't know who the third person is. No, um, no. But that's got some interesting gimmick, I think, in it where whenever they use their powers, they switch places. Um, and so they're like they're kind of like pinging around. Oh what? Uh, I don't know. And they use Beastie Boys in the trailer, which I was like, this is a bummer because this is the Beastie Boys are making me happy, but the film's like less so. But also, I will say that I'm not one of those like the quartering. I hate Brie Larson guys. I've never even seen Captain Marvel. Um, and I think Brie Larson's a very good actor. I think Room is a phenomenal film. Uh, I, I, th I thought, yeah, I think Brie Larson's fine as the as the uh, what's I can't remember her name as Captain Marvel character. I think Brie Larson's absolutely fine, no issue with it. Like I said, it's just I I can't get on. I always struggle to get on board with those overpowered uh, hero supers because I just think they get yeah. un unless you do something kind of like fun and different with them. Like um, uh, what was the th uh, Thor and Hulk one where they're fighting on the planet? Like. Um, that was Ragnarok. Ragnarok, yeah. So something like that, I think, is uh, can work. Um, and you sort of use humor when you've got two insanely powerful uh, superheroes. Mm -hmm. You can do different stuff with them. But um, yeah, no, Captain Marvel was a bit was was a bit nothing um, for me anyway. But no, Ms. Marvel, the series, I just thought was all right. I, I did not like what they did with her powers to make her like weird glassy power. Like she doesn't just grow. She has these weird, um, strange almost uh, holographic powers which were kind of weird and I wasn't that into it um, yeah I don't know how I feel about that but I, I, did you hear this that apparently Dune 2 is getting 5 to 6 weeks of unfettered IMAX access and so the Marvel's films are not going to be released in IMAX apparently because they're being it's all coming out at the same time um, I don't know how tr what truth there is to that um, but apparently so. so apparently if you want to see those Marvel's films in IMAX you won't be able to because Dune 2 is stolen the thunder so yeah. i'll be honest I, I don't know what this current slate for marvel stuff is looking like but i would far rather see june 2 in like in imax than me too anything i can yeah. remember marvel are making 
I don't know. I had one of those moments, not to go on a whole Marvel tangent, I apologize, but I had one of those moments the other day where I think I must have read something online or seen something on social media. I was trying to picture what the next Avengers looks like, like who the leaders, who who are the next Avengers? Like, what does that room right. look like when they all gather up? And I was like, really? Like, like even, even simple things like um, uh, imagining the Falcon uh, now being Captain America and like imagining... Uh, like imagining Shang Chi being there and stuff like that. I'm like it, like it doesn't. There's something about it that just doesn't fit in my like it, my my it doesn't compute yet. And I, maybe it's just because I haven't seen it. But no, no, I'm I'm with you. I don't like it. Like uh, and and the reason is I realized this the other day and I watched a documentary about Stan Lee and I think he completely nailed for me what I like about the current the, the previous roster of Avengers and it was it was nothing to do with the superhero stuff. It was all of the the uh, the realistic character development behind the scenes. Um, the, and then the superhero stuff is like a is like a dusting on top, which was which makes it cool. Um, so you know you have they have real problems and real issues, and and you get like Stanley said with a lot of his characters, the reason they become the the, the problems they had were real human problems, um, and they were superheroes. Whereas I think when you introduce a whole new cast of characters, you need to rebuild all of that, and I don't think they've done it with any like any of that Shang Chi or any of the. Um, uh, like Falcon or anything. I just I haven't seen the series to be fair. Falcon. I just don't think they've done. Yeah, that's the problem. But I think uh, the, the you touched on another problem for me. Like not being like a TV guy means I'm out of the loop on a lot of stuff. I'm out of the loop on you know the Hawkeye kind of stuff. That oh, me TV too. Show, yeah. Right. Out of the loop on. I know Loki's coming back. I've not uh, seen any any of the t that TV stuff. I've I've not watched. I've, yeah. I'm trying to watch Invasion, Secret Invasion, but even that, oh, yeah. I fell off quite hard. The, the the final episode and kind of the, the resolution of Secret Invasion was heavily spoiled for me on social media. And I saw that and I was like, not only, this is a pretty rough double whammy, brace yourself. Not only am I glad I didn't watch Secret Invasion, but I'm also glad I'm no longer invested in the MCU as a as a concept. Um, right. And like, cause the, the, also like the films, I think undeniably have been getting worse. Like when you look at that last Ant-Man, when you look at, the Eternals, were they called? Oh, that was um, awful. The Eternals, yeah. Um, you know, there are a few others in there. I, I, I know we don't see eye to eye on this, but I really was not a big fan of. I was really disappointed, in fact, by uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. Right. I think Guardian. I thought Guardians Three was 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 solid. Um, yes. I had a good time with Guardians Three. So there's still life in there, but they've got an interesting path ahead. Um, wow, we we diverted somehow, and I don't even know how we got to it, but you know. I don't know. Um, but unsurprisingly, Jonesy, if you ask anyone at Ubisoft, they will convince you that there is still very much life in Assassin's Creed. Um, and in fact, some people have even suggested that future plans for Immortals were cast into doubt because of the company deciding to pivot towards its most prominent brands, of which AC is most definitely one. Although, one thing that might help you, me, and maybe even others around the world get a little bit more excited about at least the near future of Assassin's Creed is the news that um, Assassin's Creed Mirage, which is the um, the upcoming Assassin's Creed title, might be significantly shorter than what we've gotten used to in, re in previous entries, especially Valhalla and Odyssey. Thank um, God. Yes, in fact, uh, you, uh, Ubisoft lead producer Fabian Salomon has confirmed that during internal playtesting, it took most players around 20 hours to complete Mirage if they rushed and, quote, 25 to 30 hours for completionists. 
I, those numbers sound a bit weird to me, like the idea that a completionist run is 25 hours and a rushed playthrough is 20 hours. What's a normal speed playthrough then, Fabian? Tell us. Yeah, um, they're all pretty close together. Yeah, those numbers seem a little bit too bunched up. Um, I don't. Also, I don't know if Fabian is uh, knows what the word completionist means to some people online who will find a way to play this for 7,000 hours and then leave it a negative review on Steam because that's the way some people's brains work. Um, but... I think, Jonesy, we can largely agree, considering how long to beat suggests that Assassin's Creed Valhalla took around 60 hours just for the main story, 96 if you included side quests, and 143 if you wanted to do everything. This is um, good news. This is a breath of fresh air. Well, I, th I think I can, un I can completely appreciate why with a game like Assassin's Creed, you want to get as much as possible out of such like an amazing, like, you know, uh full and lush world and you really want to like use that and then make sure people can enjoy that to its fullest but when you're talking about like 120 hours to do everything and I, like i just i i played that game a lot like i put a lot of hours into that and was nowhere near finishing everything and i'm someone who cannot stick to the main story i'm trying to do you know i'm trying to go over i'm trying to do everything but i do not want to be playing it for 120 hours i think um I'm probably lucky if I hit 25 to 30 hours in Valhalla. Um, and, I, and I felt like I had spent a long time with that game. So the idea that I can actually play Mirage, play it for 25 to 30 hours and finish the game and do all the, I'm Yeah, I'm totally there for that. I think that's something that I'm I'm looking forward to in, a, in an Assassin's Creed game. It's been something which has been, it's felt like it's been a long time coming. So Yeah, it has. It has. I think that's why... It seems crazy to say out loud. Like I know that a lot of people have been asking for this, and this has been a talking point for a long time around not just Assassin's Creed, but other very expansive RPGs and open world titles out there in the industry at the moment. But yeah, the fact that a relatively short or like shorter um, time to complete a main story or even to see everything a game has to offer is a selling point that says a lot about the relationship certain gamers have with games at the moment. Like I was, I say certain gamers because don't get me wrong, there is still very much a crowd of people who, if you gave them a thousand hours of content, they will pay you back with a thousand hours of playing. But also says a lot about, yeah, how franchises had sort of lost their way and lost a lot of their charm and spread themselves a bit too thin. And Assassin's Creed had definitely become one of them. Like when you're getting to the point where an average gamer, which is what I what I think you're a solid example of can't roll credits and see a story like Valhalla through because of just how spread thin it is and how much content there is to see you've got a problem right like that should always be the goal when you're telling a story make sure people get to the end of it yeah absolutely and and it, yeah the reality is like I exactly I'm I would describe myself as like yeah a average gamer I think and I just don't have the time to put so, so my, my problem is always this i don't have the time to play the games enough in a short space of time to finish them which means that then other games are coming out that i also want to play so then means toward the sort of the middle portion of the game uh that middle third um where my time is already spread you know spread relatively thinly i'm then torn in multiple directions which means i'm playing even less which then means my investment into the game is less which means to, in, to get through that middle third it just takes forever and so if you're sort of like 15 hours into a game and you've just finished you know what feels like the opening section and you're thinking i've got another 45 hours to sit through this and i know i've been playing it for a for a month already mm. you know i yeah i'm 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 definitely one of those people that's gonna that, that appreciates um 
a game which gets not like not quickly, but I I don't want to be sat there for that long, and I do want the ability to roll credits in you know a month or two of the limited amount of gameplay time that I actually get. I don't really want the prospect of sort of six months <laughs> sinking into a game just to see the end. Like that's that's yes. mad to me. Nor nor do you want the feeling that you're taking shortcuts, right? Like because no. there are there are games out there where if you just go. Like main quest, main quest, maze quest, main quest, main quest. You will get to the ending faster than the average player. But there are some games that almost make you feel guilty for that, with the way they kind of spread out their progression through the game. You're entering into this new, especially Assassin's Creed. You enter this new region. You synchronize. Your map is covered in points. There are side missions. You're being pulled in every single direction. You can almost feel guilty for saying, "No, I just want to see the main story content and the cutscenes." In fact, there have even been Assassin's Creed games in the past. I want to say one of Origins or Odyssey was guilty of this. It might have been Odyssey, where if you did that, you probably would have found yourself under-leveled by the end of the game because obviously the RPG hooks got even deeper. That's the other thing I think that is becomes a really negative side effect of these overly expansive open world titles. I know um, it felt even, it almost felt like you were punished for it in some respect. Um, in uh, you know the last couple of Assassin's Creed games with the introduction of like the um, uh, the super OP uh enemy ai like enemies who would come after you um and hunt you down so if you were in the open world and if you were sort of like trying to make a beeline to follow the main quest and it's like oh no you've got level 30 so and so is coming to kick your ass and you're not high enough like to take and then you spend like um 10 to 15 minutes hiding from uh, an enemy so that they can piss off so you can get back on track is is almost like you're being punished for trying to maybe cut a few corners um yeah which is which is not fun like that's not a place you want to be no especially not in a game that will happily sell you um an xp doubler for example for real money right yeah um which is i don't know that whole thing is fucked um and i think there are elements of that side of Assassin's creed that we're not going to shake off in a hurry but at least we will shake off the overbearingly large um and and guilt-ridden experiences that we've been having with uh, recent titles. Although, Jonesy, I will just say, while we are on the subject of Assassin's Creed spreading itself a little bit thin, they might be course-correcting some on a title-by-title basis with regards to how long they take to beat and how long it takes to see uh, everything that there is to see. They're definitely still not concerned about spreading themselves thin when it comes to the volume of titles they're releasing, though. Um... I've got a factoid in front of me that this year's Mirage is one of at least six Assassin's Creed games Ubisoft currently has in development. And in May, the company announced plans to increase the number of staff working on the series by 40% over the coming years, um, doing so by reallocating staff from other franchises, which ties back into, of course, why titles like Immortals Phoenix Rising are perhaps no longer getting sequels. Now, obviously, this includes things like mobile games, this includes VR games, this even supposedly, according to rumours, includes a standalone multiplayer game. So, in their defence, they are looking for ways to leverage that IP to create different kinds of experiences, but it is still a lot of Assassin's Creed. And it's like, okay, great, you've made them 20 hours long, you're also rele- you're also back to releasing at least one a year, with potentially even other ones and other experiences dotted around too. I, it was funny. I actually saw a tweet today from somebody that said, um, uh, "How did Ubisoft manage to take the concept of ancient aliens coming to Earth, leaving um, uh, 
whatever they call them, like, uh, you know, icons or whatever to be found. And, uh, you know, a sci-fi um, story where you're running through real historical locations. How do they manage to make all that boring? Like, that sounds like it shouldn't be possible. Oh. And they managed it. Uh, well, so, I, you know, I'm torn. I'm like... I can absolutely see why they're doubling down Assassin's Creed. I can see why they're trying to create this like idea of this hub world, Assassin's Creed, you know, like overworld, almost like a um, a West world kind of thing where you've, I don't even know how it worked, but you know, where you've got um, multiple Assassin's Creed stories going on all at the same time and you could enjoy it to your heart's content. But at the same time, yeah. if you look at, um, that would be fine if they were nailing it the last two or three games. Um, right. But we'll have to see how that all, how it plays out. I guess, there is some idea of that, right? With um, that idea of Assassin's Creed Infinity being this weird live service hub that houses all the other the other experiences. Then you get a bit of Westworldiness, right? And that's what I, and I mean, not, not like physically, but yeah, that's how I kind of imagine it is this, you've got this, it's this historical hub world thing where it's like, oh, this is going on over here, Baghdad over here. You can go to uh, Viking times over here. You can, and, and it'd be super interesting to see how they pull all that together. We're like, yeah, with this... Um, uh, the Assassin's Creed Infinity, but it's it's a it's a strange thing, and they're obviously putting a lot of time and effort and staff into Assassin's Creed. Um, yeah, which which makes sense. Yeah, like it does make sense, I guess. Um, but at the same time, it does make you wonder. It's that what I I always think of um uh well, something like that. I always think of how, the story I heard about how after uh, Pitch Black was made and um, Vin Diesel was talking to the producer or you know with the director and they were like this is our plan going forward for the world of riddick and then the next game you had oh games next uh, film you had was chronicles of riddick and it was like oh that's all gone this idea of this brand new franchise taking over is going to be massive we're going to have like nine films riddick's going to be all over the universe doing this shit and the first one they come out with you like oh what a load of rubbish like it's done Oh god, which I hope Assassin's Creed doesn't fall into. I, I mean, I'm, I'm confident that the quality of the Assassin's Creed games will still stay roughly where they've been in recent years. Um, I just think the real shame here is that there, are, I think there are so many other um, Ubisoft franchises, even if you ignore the ones that have kind of become jokes, like I know Beyond Good and Evil 2 is a bit of a running joke at the moment, Skull and Modes is definitely a running joke, but there's absolutely a world to me where you go back to the draw drawing board and come back with a rejuvenated take on Far Cry or a rejuvenated take on Splinter Cell, on Rayman, on Prince of Persia, as we've discussed many, which they, to be fair they are now doing in a kind of a slightly different way. Um, and and and, and you become a bona fide hit maker, you know, a hit factory all over again. Um, so when I hear stories about 40% of um, staff um, or a 40% increase in the number of people working on Assassin's Creed and all of that is coming from different um, franchises, um, relocating from other franchises, it bums me out. Well, one thing I will say also before I throw it back to you is that whilst that person whose tweet or whose you know, message that you mentioned about AC getting boring was accurate if they're talking about the games and what it's like to experience them often totally wrong if they're talking about the story the story the the ongoing like lineal story of assassin's creed uh, by the time valhalla ends is fascinatingly like he's the most bonkers bullshit stupid ridiculous nonsense that i and i, and I absolutely adore it
Fair, fair enough. Uh, no, yeah, I, I, do you know what? I, I guess at, at least they're not trying to get out of it and just go, oh, forget all of that. We've moved on. It's just, they're just historical games. Like I, I have some um, uh, some affinity for the fact that they are sticking with the the bonkers story. Um, I I don't know. I, I, I do think I I don't mean this in a mean way, but I do think with Assassin's Creed. Um, there is maybe some aspect which is almost like paint by numbers, which is something which most games don't have the ability to do. So, for example, there, you know, uh, Mirage is set in Baghdad of a, in a certain time frame. So, actually, rather than trying to develop an entire um, game world or, or you know, really intricate level design or whatever, there must be some element where you can effectively get some historians in and say, "All right, in the year twelve hundred, what did Baghdad look like?" That's what we say in the game, and then you can leave your level designers and the historians and a couple of architects to go off and basically build your world for you and make it beautiful and perfect. And then you can say, "Okay, we've got the city. Now we're going to put a story into it." Um, and I think a lot of games don't have that luxury because you've kind of got to try and invent a world where it. You've got to try and come up with the two that go together, right? The story has to fit the world, etc. Um, so maybe they can, maybe they can go out there these days with Unreal Engine Five, and they can build six different cities, and then they're all made, and then they can say, right, now we're going to put stories into them, we're going to put side quests, we're going to like, you know, do uh, how, how the games are going to function, the, the mechanics, and all that sort of stuff. So maybe it makes sense for them to double down on on Assassin's Creed. Maybe it's like a the, the the production route is so well laid out, and so they've they've got it down pat, so they know what they're doing. Um, but I, and I hope it works I really do I hope it pays off I hope I'll get some incredible Assassin's Creed games out of it um, for years to come I, I love I like I said before I think on a podcast I love how they even do the like the historical tours around some of those worlds they make um, mm-hmm. I think that's that's wicked I would love it if it became a thing of like your teacher at school said to you when you were doing about the Egyptians uh, go and play Assassin's Creed Origins and go and do this level where oh, you go man. like that would be that would be sick like I, I yeah, we went to school at the wrong time if they do end up doing that whole set especially with the VR stuff they do now like with Assassin's yeah. Creed VR like if they said go look around the Sphinx in VR and Assassin's Creed it's the best although yeah do you hear that there's one particular content creator I know that you, you're familiar with who probably would veto having his children play at least one particular upcoming uh, Assassin's Creed game for, histor- for the sake of historical accuracy? What is that? Do you hear about this? No. So, um, one of the games that Ubisoft are working on at the moment is uh, uh, Codenamed Red, uh, which is the... Um, the, it described as the next big Valhalla-like flagship Assassin's Creed set in feudal Japan. Right. There was a rumor that emerged, um, I'd say about a week ago, like inside the last week, that um, that Assassin's Creed Red's protagonist is going to be an African samurai, of which, historically speaking, I think there was one famous one called Yasuke, but it's kind of one of those things where, like, yeah, that wasn't really a thing. Like, yes, there's one notable, very famous story of one, but, like... If you were a samurai in feudal Japan, there's a 99.9% chance you were, you know, you're Japanese. Japanese. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, our old pal, the Coursering, um, took, took a screenshot of that headline and said, don't you racist video gamers say a damn thing about this black samurai, obviously being sarcastic, uh, predicting what people are going to... Um, oh, that's... Use. And, he, and he says, lol, holy moly, gaming is woke beyond repair. Jesus, get was it get what's this phrase? Get uh, get woke, go, go broke. broke, go yeah, work, go broke. Um, that's it's that's interesting. Most games, I would say, like oh, it's it's a goddamn game. Like calm down. I suppose that I suppose you could make an argument with something like Assassin's Creed 
that because they're so based in historical fact that you could but they no but then they're based on goddamn aliens like it's it's a sci-fi game like what it's not real if if you had the historical part you know the historical tour and they just yep. filled it with bullshit i would say yeah that i would be like they filled it with black people no no, no they, they just made up stuff let's say they just made up and then and they were selling it as a historically accurate game tour then i would be like oh yeah you can't do that like that's that's just trying to trick people for the sake of it but when it comes to the actual story of the game like it's it's all horseshit like what come on what are we talking about yeah no I, I i agree i agree um jamie they I, didn't have women fighting in world war ii what are they doing Sometimes to keep women keep, keep you know what if i want to be able to do uh, a fucking a, a, a roulette or a or a you know any skill move with my dead pele ultimate team card i shouldn't have to do it with bloody women on the same pitch that's that's the other one that's kicking off at the moment is they're they're about to integrate uh women's uh play, female women uh, football players into ultimate team ultimate team being a card-based fifa game mode which regularly features uh legends or icons who are dead um so. i saw okay maybe this is adjacent to that um i did see something whereby they had and and the the, the reasoning made total sense to me so they had um uh What's the guy's name? They could the Swedish, you know, I uh, the guy like I am Ibrahimovic, whatever his name is. Oh, yeah, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So they had him uh, and a card of him in FIFA and, and his abilities, oh, and they had a, you. a prominent it female player, Sam Kerr, the Australian striker. Right, and I think they were comparing physicality for her was like ninety two, and for him was like seventy eight, and then they compared like a real life picture of both of them, and were like, he's this six foot whatever roided out like looking tank and she is like half his size so how would physicality be higher for her higher for him and but then i think the, the points made on the on the tweet were like seem completely reasonable which is no you're comparing apples and oranges because uh it's not the same game it's like a rating if you had for example um uh a welterweight and you were tr on paper and you were sort of talking about strength you'd compare welterweights you wouldn't compare them to a heavyweight you know you're you're it's apples and oranges but, so from what you're saying, are you now suggesting that you could put them into the same team on the same pitch and they would, yes. and she would be stronger and more physical than he would? No, no one knows for sure how EA are going to balance that. So those, my understanding is that no ratings have been revealed yet for right. this year's actually title. EA Sports FC 24. Um, it's going to get weird, weird to get used to saying FIFA. Um, most like Twitter. So those cards that you saw, Zlatan and, and Sam Kerr's cards, um, would have been based on the previous game where they weren't mixed at all. So there would have been no attempt to, like you said, go like have some like pound for pound ideology where it's like, well, okay, if we used Zlatan's as a baseline, what would Sam Kerr's then be? But by the same token, no one knows exactly how they're going to manage that kind of stuff. And I can guarantee you there will be like they, I think they're going to mix it in such a way where female cards are viable, which means like high-level female cards are going to be, you know, for them to be usable, they have to have certain attributes that are, um, you know, uh, desirable in game, and they might decide to go the other direction where like maybe female cards are slightly less physical but slightly um, faster or slightly more agile. But then even that's a problem because, I mean, statistically. On average, like the fastest male players are faster than the fastest female players, as as is true in say like you know athletics, you know, on a, on a 
So gen- generally speaking, like is a, if we're just talking numbers, I'm not trying to say anything controversial here. Like the world record for the hundred meters. <laughs> you said, Dude, you're fine. You didn't. You don't need to worry about it. Like I know what you. We know what you're saying. We know what you're saying. Well, I basically, I, I don't know how they're gonna do it. But at the same time, like I said, like it's a it's a game mode where you're where you're putting together. A, a, a dream team based on what are essentially a digitized form of collectible trading cards wherein they regularly feature not just retired players but dead players they often do promos that mix things up where players play out of position it wasn't that long ago that Petr Cech the former Chelsea goalkeeper was one of the best strikers in the game um, like the, the rules have always been a little bit muddy in my opinion I'm I'm kind of torn because I can for, so for example like if you just to make it simpler for like my non-sport brain um if if there was a tennis game where you had the ability to say pit like um uh oh god what was her name uh Serena Williams right they got the greatest female tennis player of all time and you could pit her like at her peak like I don't know what 20 22 23 something like that if you wanted to play her against like an Andy Roddick or a um uh Rafael Nadal or something like that I can absolutely see that you would want to have a game be able to play where you just like the player so you just want to be able to play a game of tennis and they are weighted in a way that makes that a fun enjoyable experience right and I think that's the majority of people that are going to play that would want to experience that you wouldn't want to have do you know what like she's massively underpowered when she's playing these players and she can't like return a serve like she could in an actual game to see her play it so I'm I'm I think you'd rather have them balanced more equally i could at the same time see the argument for someone to say but hold on i would i actually would be interested to see how serena williams would perform against john McEnroe, you know in his heyday um just for fun but the majority of people aren't going to be bothered about that the majority of people is going to want to play a good game a fun game of tennis so i can see why you i suppose what i would call it would be like you'd have a catch-up logic for the fifa game so you want to you want to minimize the gap to have the fastest female player is, you know, not that much slower than the fastest male player. Like, because otherwise it's just not going to be fun. Yeah. Like, no one's going to play as those players. Yeah, if you if you want to be weird about it, like, FIFA has been doing some version of that for ages where, like, the speed differential, the differential between certain defenders and certain attackers in the game has always been massively skewed because if... Like if you if your left winger really was twice as fast as your opponent's right back, then what would like once you beat them like but once you got past them, they wouldn't be able to catch you up. And so there have always been kind of like rubber banding and catch up mechanics, and some people call it scripting, but like elements in FIFA that have evened the odds so that like a six foot five like lumbering you know meat headed defender can still sometimes have a chance of catching or making a like last gasp tactical against a five foot four lower center of gravity possible like you know extremely agile dribbler um fever like fever's been messing with things behind the scenes for a long time and i, I don't think this is a big deal but uh, yeah it's the internet so it's sure. gonna be a big deal to someone and when i speak loudest and you know when I play the Rocky games, I want Rocky to be able to fight Ivan Drago and not get killed in every single fight. So, I yeah, I can see why. I exactly. see why they do it. Yeah, we all like to live out our own imagination in these video games. So, why not make it as inclusive as possible? Um, right, guy? I'm sure. I'm sure everyone in the um, in the chat is is agreeing with me previously. I tell you, I tell you what, though, it would be interesting. That all having been said, if there was a button you could put click for like a simulation mode, and you could put like the best uh, ever, uh, like um, 
uh, uh, like Spanish side, international Spanish side against like the best ever American female side and see how that played out. Like that would be interesting. As didn't, that happen, as other, didn't that happen the other day? Didn't like an international women's team play like a low level club and lose like 20 nil or something like that? Oh, I've no idea. I, I think it, I think it might be in a friendly, but I think something like that did happen fairly recently. As I, a, I don't follow any form of football, so I, I didn't. Um, no, 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 no. What women's World Cup is going on as we speak? So what better time than now, Jersey? Oh, of course it is. I've watched none of it. Uh, so there you go. Wow. wow. I'm, I don't so, watch. I don't watch football. I don't watch this asshole prick. You're part of the I, I don't watch the men play. I don't watch the women play. So there you go. Uh, I've I've watched you watch football. You like scumbag. Have you watched? Maybe, maybe in the World Cup or a Euros. I've watched. There's no way you worked at the place that we worked for as long as we worked there without watching a football match. I'd so, Oh no! If it was the World Cup or it was the Euros, then I do watch football. Sometimes, like that, I watch that sometimes. Um, it is the World Cup, but, but I don't. I've never watched. <laughs> I'm, I'm yanking your chain. Don't worry. No, no, I'm trying to be. But yeah, I, I know it's just not the same. I have, don't find it as. I don't find it like uh, the only football I ever watch is the World Cup of Euros, but I don't really feel the same with the Women's World Cup. I don't know why. It's just a- and it, it, it happens. It happens a lot. It's getting you know viewership's going up and stadium attendance is going up across the board for women's sports, especially women's football. But there are certain sports where like it doesn't make it's interesting. You mentioned Serena Williams. It doesn't make as much difference in tennis. Like I feel like a lot of people will still sit down and watch like. The Wimbledon ladies singles final. Oh um, yeah, one hundred percent. It's because it's it's no but, different really because it's um yeah you know two of the greatest players in the in the game playing each other is is fantastic. Yeah, same a lot of the time like with, with UFC like you, you know to to go back a couple of years to when you you know like you know, I know you were familiar with like the heyday of Ronda Rousey for example like the no women were better. Team. The women were better than the men in those days because they were let they were less technically good, which meant the fights were more insane. No, because they were still they were still like right, bloody yeah. hard, but you would get insane fights where someone would massively outclass someone else and they would beat the shit out of them. Whereas in the men's fights, often you wouldn't have that because they were so well versed and so well practiced that it would be a really dull fight. Whereas the women would just go like suddenly out of nowhere, like a uh, Misha Tate fighting um ah oh, who was the Holly Holm and she's like choking around Holly Holm's like trying to flip her off her back and she can't get off and you're like this is insane it was so good yeah, yeah. like fantastic and, 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 and the women, women's MMA has moved on an, an incredibly long way even since you know Holly Holm and Misha Tate were, were in the conversation for the was it the bantamweight championship um, is, it, is it boring now are they too good it's gone boring well, uh, it, it got boring for a little while because of uh, Amanda Nunez, who was obviously uh, one of the... Yeah, she and obviously she burst on the scene because she was the one that really put a beating on Ronda Rousey after on Ronda Rousey's return. And she was dominant for a long time. She was a two-weight champion. She was even the person that when uh, the UFC finally cut a deal with uh, Chris Cyborg and uh, cre- essentially created the 145-pound division for her, Amanda New Year still went up there and creamed her, and they just kept. Uh, Amanda New Year's did slip up eventually. Um, she lost to I think it was Juliana Pena, um, but even that is like basically seen as a blip. One of those blips that like almost every legend has in their career at some point or another. Yeah, like GSP had a blip. John Jones technically had a blip, although it was his. Well, he's had a number of blips, and they've all been his blips. But in <laughs> ring, he's had one blip. Um, you know, Anderson Silva had blips. I don't know, Mighty Mouse. 
um, who, who basically everyone apart from Khabib like slipped up at some point, right? Um, and then Khabib just said, "What? Well, I don't need to do this anymore. See you later." Yeah. Well, fair, fair, you look at you look at how few people make it out of um, mixed martial arts undefeated. You think you look at that and you're just like, "Fair enough, mate." Fair enough, dude. dude. Um, we need we need anyway. another golden age of UFC. It seems like it's not as good. These I mean, uh, you say that like this weekend just gone. They had one of the put on one of the best cards on paper, at least a, a decent practice, but certainly one of the best cards on paper they've had for a long time. Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gagey too for the BMF title. Um, BMF title is is a title that they created. It stands for like bad motherfucker. <laughs> right. Um, literally, and it's literally just a title. They're like. These guys aren't like um, championship contenders, but they're some of the most in- entertaining. Like, fuck it, we're just gonna go out there and swing and sw- sw- swanging and banging. Um, <laughs> and they made a title for that, so fair fucking play. Um, there you go. Yeah, uh, there's a, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in mixed martial arts, but I, not everyone's gonna stay up till three a.m. to watch it here in the UK. So I I'm not gonna try and convince anyone. Anyway. Jonesy, we 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 went on too many tangents. We're gonna put a bow on this motherfucker. <laughs> um, thank you for being such a, a wonderful co-host, and 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 especially thank you for letting us indulge in a little bit of conversation about aliens without going crazy, tin pot, tin full hat, over the top with it. Yeah, that no, yeah. I hope um, <laughs> we have gone a bit rogue this episode, haven't we? But it's been good. We've uh, we've branched off. Um, no, it's been it's it's been fun. I mean. Some people, I don't know whether to believe them, but some people do say they like it when we go rogue. So if you're one of those people, then this is for you. Whether you are watching us live on YouTube, shout out, it's a shout out once again to all of you lot. Whether you're watching this on YouTube after the fact, in which case, please do say hello. Like I said, the comment section down below might be looking a little bit bare at the time you're watching this video, but it is calling you. It is beckoning you. Say hi. We'll read it. If it's worth responding to in the next episode, we will do that. And of course, you can reach out to us in all the usual ways, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on X, that handle at Super Show Pod. Um, if you're listening to this on any of those podcasting platforms we talked about earlier, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, any of those, then please do consider rating us five stars. And of course, if you feel moved enough to pledge some money to keep the show on the roads, then that uh, link once again, patreon.com forward slash Super Show. That's the place to go. Um, thank you all so much for watching and or listening. Thank you once again, Jonesy, for joining me on this unbelievably overlong and probably slightly tedious venture. Um, and if you haven't been put off by this week, then hopefully we'll see you again for the same thing in the same place at the same time next week. Until then, bon voyage and say la vie and have a good one. See ya. <laughs>